your mind They want your soul To own your life as the long-term goal They want your money They want your health as a grab as a transference of wealth They like disease They want you ill So big pharmaceutical can sell you pills Signs are ominous Don't look good Bioengineering shape for food They're everywhere They're breaking through Every day they get a grubby pose on something new folks um we're gonna get right into it because uh i've got <laughs> got oh waiting on the line and i've been less than professional in um trying to get organized this morning i blame i blame the kids 
<laughs> wasn't me, Governor. All right, so let me do this. Always remember, uh, we're dealing with covert moral bioenhancement and uh, many, many other forms of psychological warfare. Let me bring uh, Mary onto the screen and do this. And let me, maybe I can unmute uh, Mary. Come on. Oh, I don't know why Zoom has become very, very... Am I missing something here? Uh, Mary, can you hear me? Yes, oh. I unmuted myself. Oh, perfect. Hey, Kevin. Hi, how are you? Pleasure to meet you face to face at last. Yes. Uh, yes, so I, I titled the stream um discussions with basically a professional virologist so um i think we're very very fortunate um to have you here speaking with us so uh, i know you've been waiting so without <laughs> well, thanks for having me on i oh, appreciate it it's, it's all mine um maybe uh, tell us a little bit about yourself uh without maybe doxing too much but uh. Sure. So um, <clears throat> I did my undergraduate training in chemistry and, and jumped over to, to the biology side after taking an immunology course in college. Um, went on to do a PhD in microbiology and immunology at Wake Forest and um, studied molecular virology for my thesis there. So my specific training was in virology and um, studied several virus families throughout my research, including exoviruses, which are measles and mumps, and influenza viruses in my postdoc, and did some work on rotaviruses as well, and currently in a small company now. Okay, so um, we can dispense with the obvious uh, question, which is, do you think viruses are real? Yeah. <laughs> not go there <laughs> <laughs> no I, yeah. I i don't want to i'm i'm fed up with those people um they're um, they, they take up an inordinate amount of energy and time and right. uh, it's a it's a nonsense machine um and but... uh, what i've found is they don't they don't spend this time themselves to dig deep so they're no. they're willing to listen to a few videos and, and take somebody's word at face value without Doing the critical thinking themselves is, is what yeah. I found because it's all there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um, it, it's a, a degree from YouTube, right? And uh, <laughs> and they think they're ready to rock and roll. And you know the the really nice thing here is that, and I do say this time and time again, um, it, you can read all the papers you want, um, but unless you've got bench experience like detailed bench experience um you're always you're, you're always going to be lagging and perhaps misfiring with respect to the targets that you want to hit and so you know, for people that are listening um just uh well in the previous days um i i don't think we need to go through the basics of virology I, as we have an expert here i want to sort of try and push the envelope a little bit and 
one of the things that I wanted, you know, that's been a, a topic of contentious discussion, I would say, um, is uh, quasi-species swarms and their, uh, let's say, their, their stability and adaptability. And um, please, I'm here to listen yeah. to you about... Okay, yeah, um, if you mind i can share my screen with a little schematic uh, that that helps the explanation here do you mind yeah just give me oh uh, you have to enable it yeah oh, the yeah. viruses are, are super cool to study and i'd be happy to to touch on uh you know i've, I've given you some a slide deck on uh basic fundamentals of virology but i mean i have is... i have it to hand if you want to um if you think that'd be useful for your audience, but um, I can quickly just review um, basics on that and then get into uh, the life cycle of the virus and then how quasi-species swarms exist uh, from that, if you'd like. Well, can, can I just um, ask a, a simple question, which is um, quasi-species swarms um, just from my perspective seems well how solid of a theory is it when you know if you look at the literature there's a sort of understanding that there's that there was variance anyway just because of genetic drift and um you know point mutations etc um is it is it radically different to what um the virology i learned of when I was at uh, university in grad school. Um, I, I don't, I'm not quite exactly sure what your question is, but um, it, the genetic drift that you mentioned arises because of the quasi-species nature okay. of, of viruses. And it, and it has to be a dominant mutation over successive repeated passages. And it's going to okay. show you a little scheme to explain that. Um, I, I think the screen should be working. Okay. Cool. All right. I'm going to share just some slides here. Um, was my perspective on the irrefutable evidence of viruses, and here's some really cool images I took since since viruses are so cool. Um, on the oh, left these are is, these are yours. Yeah. On uh, the left is a. Nice. Um, cryo em picture of rotavirus um so it's got this beautiful icosahedral protein capsid um you know viruses can have a membrane outer layer or a protein outer layer rotaviruses have a protein and has a very awesome geometric shape to it and what i did was applied some software to this and sort of cut through slices and see, saw what the inside looks like based on some some modeling yes but um, interesting thing about rotaviruses is they can replicate without the entire cell. So if you throw in salts, nucleic acids, um, it, it will pump out genetic material. Oh, no Not way. a whole virion because you don't have amino acids to form protein, but it will start pumping out um, the stuff. And what we saw here is a cross-section of those rotaviruses. And this is just an artistic point of view, but the less dense features in blue are, are probably RNA, and the RNAs form a very complex uh, structure of what I call dancing stars here. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the the core of this particle changes dramatically under replication, and it gets very dense in the center, and there's a lot of um, changes that you can see. But anyway, let me fast forward through these um, <clears throat> a little bit. So I'm going to be jumping through um, and cover. I'm going to come back to life cycle in a minute because that's important to understand. Um, but the, the irrefutable evidence of viruses is, as I put it, we can directly see them on electron microscopy. Um, we have animal models where we give the animals the virus and they um, can have symptoms. They don't have to have symptoms, but you can recover virus back out from the animals or they can transmit it to, to other animals um, through cages. Um, they have a direct effect on tissue culture. Part of the no virus crowds gets hung up on the cytopathic effect. Not all viruses even cause cytopathic effect. Right. So you... Now I worked with a, a virus that was really optimized at a steady state, um, pumped out tons of virus, but uh, didn't induce host cell death or or even cytokines. So it had that optimal steady state level, not to set off alarm bells in the cell, but also able to produce a lot of new particles. Um, um, it sounds uh, a concerning one to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what? No, so that one is non-pathogenic. You know, oh, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> And then we could detect the virus material by several methods. And then obviously we have specific immune responses to foreign sequences. And the most interesting part is the um, co-evolution of viruses with um, eukaryotes. And you can see a complex inter- interplay between uh, the host response and then virus antagonism, where the virus actually antagonizes directly. It can degrade proteins. It can stop signaling pathways. They do all kinds of cool stuff. So. Um, and we... I, I was just going to, I don't want to shoot off at a tangent, but, you know, there's been, um, or I see a lot of chatter about SARS' ability to um, co-transfect with bacteria. Um, it's, it's, how much of an issue is that? Is it a real issue or... Um, or just uh, just well, you wanna... say co-transfect, so you well, mean uh, infecting the same exact cell, or, or um, so? I, I'm, my understanding is they're able to infect the um, bacteria, a bit like a phage. Oh, yeah, there are viruses do that, mm-hmm. yeah. and that was at the beginning part that I skipped over. Um, how how much of that impacts the quasi species? Because I mean, th- that's a radically different replication environment compared to obviously um human cells is 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 that what's driving much of the difference right, a couple of notes there so uh, a really interesting thing is that uh dna viruses can can infect a, a wide range of organisms um whereas rna viruses only infect eukaryotes so that can you know tell us something about uh virus evolution and the last universal cellular ancestral that we've got sequences. So it's really interesting to go down that path. Um, <clears throat> but uh, the the state of the quasi-species is mostly dependent on the fidelity of the polymerase combined with proofreading activity. So I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute, but let me just flip through these intro. Um, so I isolate virus in the lab on daily. We can isolate virus, you guys. Um, so, uh, you know, you can do it through sucrose, so sucrose gradient or sucrose cushion through ultra-citrification. And um, 
if the virus is less dense, it forms sort of a, a layer that you um, fractionate out of the sucrose column, or if it's more dense and you're just putting it over a one single concentration of sucrose pellets to the bottom, you have a white pellet that you respin even tighter and um, quantify the virus right out of that. So um, here's a good example. Got a question on that? Uh, well, I was, you know, the comeback from no virus, I don't want to too much no virus nonsense into this, but their, their, their argument is, is that um, because of the um, similarity in size with intracellular vesicles, that um, you can't tell the difference. Um, Except you can. Um, you can do specific staining and molecular biology techniques to differentiate between the two. You can actually take uh, control. Uh, you can take normal cells plus in, or versus infected cells. You do the same procedure to both. So you have your control non non infected sample, and you don't generate a distinct um, milky white layer where the virus would be. Um, and if there, there's no effect once you take that inoculum and reapply it to cells or reapply it into animals. So, right. so um, the, the exosomes aren't infective? Color, color, me, color me not surprised, but... <laughs> but. So, um, you know, this is more uh, um, electron microscopy. So this is transmission electron microscopy of uh, pox virus families. So what yeah. I'm showing here is... Um, various members of the pox virus family. These are distinct viruses within the same family. Um, they cause similar symptoms in the host. Um, here we have canary pox on the left, uh, smallpox, which is human variola virus in the middle. And then on the right is uh, my lab works with an attenuated vaccinia virus that's thought to originate from um, cows, but that's up for debate. So you'll see the distinct hourglass shape in the middle, which is in gas and material. And then there's a couple of membranes around that. And then it's got a surface collective proteins on the top. So we can see similar morphology within the same family of distinct sequences. Um, inclusion bodies are another fun thing. It's, this is a lassovirus inclusion body here um, within a cell, sort of a, a virus factory. Um, I'm just moving quickly through this part because this is not the, the crux of what you want to discuss. So we can also detect virus material through uh, PCR sequencing. And a lot of people have a little bit of problem with the sequencing methods, but these are just tools that we have available to take a look. Um, we use the tools. All, all techniques have limitations, right? But um, the layered evidence creates a very clear picture. Um, yeah, I, look at... I, I always try to hammer to people that, um, yeah, there's, when you're working at these scales, there's always sort of fuzzy boundaries. But once you start getting convergent lines of you know different techniques pointing to the same thing, you know at, at some at some point there has to be um, a working framework of which of which you can sort of push from. And um, you, you know the I, I guess the question I want to get to is um, what do you think to the current PCR primers that they're using for detection with SARS? Well, I never, I never went back and vetted that. I still um, have those question marks in my mind, but um, PCR is a highly specific process and um, the spike protein in particular is very divergent from human seasonal strains. So it's not going to cross-react. It's, it's very divergent from 
you know, Oct 43 or, or the other ones. Um, <clears throat> all I can say is PCR is highly specific. You're not going to get much cross reactivity there. Depending on the gene. Now, if you look at a highly conserved gene, if the primers are targeting the polymerase, which is the most conserved region of, of viruses generally, well, yeah, you're probably going to pick up a, a few within the same family, but not, not crossing over to influenza or anything like that. Um, the, the protein is, is a more um, definitive readout. We can do Western blots, and um, you know these are immunostaining techniques where we have uh, virus-infected samples. Um, we run assays, so we separate the proteins on a gel here, and then we probe them with antibodies. We have to remember antibodies are highly specific to their target. Yeah, um, I'm a, sometimes I'm a big there's cross reactivity. That's why we do controls. <laughs> you know, um, cells only don't show any bands. You know, infected cells do, and this is actually a picture of spike-like protein here. Um, um, and then you can do immunofluorescence um, using a, a similar technique, and as well as specific staining of those electron micrographs. So you can do immunogold labeling on your electron micrograph for the specific surface viral. Like a protein. Well, you know the the state of okay. I keep bringing them up, but that 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 even convinced that antibodies are not a thing. No, that's where it's it spirals out. Then, so I was like, well, what do you think about the immune system? Well, what's the immune system? Um, it's just go go read Janeway. You know, get get your textbook out and do do a little background reading. That's 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 what I repeatedly say. Well, I mean, my understanding. Well, I've I've seen electron micrographs of um, antibodies, and just you know the fact that we can see the structure. I, I mean, without sort of arguing about epitope specificity, you know, it's it matched theory very very well. Um, you see short and long chain uh, components, and um, you know, I've. I've used antibodies successfully all through my career, and you know when you when you hit it, it it's a it's tough to hit it sometimes, but it it it's a very very reliable signal in most cases. Mm -hmm. um, but my my yeah you can. I should say my my thing was just protein intracellular proteins and uh, neurotransmitters things like that not uh, not virology so um just yeah antibodies are, are you know not only are they part of our immune system and they're used in molecular biology techniques but we often use them in immunology as well to do um, specific cell depletion so we can administer antibodies and deplete cd8 t cells and then study what the lack of cd8 t cells does um, and to, to define correlates of protection and such. Of course, we can we can see cytopathic effect. Um, you can have cell death, cell rounding, or cell cell fusion, syncytial formation on the far right here. This is a picture I took in grad school okay. of um, a hyperfusogenic virus on the right hand side. Um, then you got the the plaque assays, so they get bent out of shape. Yeah, anything could cause cell death, whatever. So actually, um, a traditional plaque assay looks like this, where you have a patch that's where the cells have lifted off the dish, where you, where you see cytopathic effect of cells. 
but you can take the, the same um, sample, the same virus sample and do immunostain and specifically detect for the surface glycoproteins. And actually in my lab, we do plaque assays with this extra step to um, just, it ensures that you're not misreading your, your um, hole on the plate on the left side. Right. And that's another. My understanding as well is that sort of modern techniques, there are um, culture methods that the medium doesn't even have antibiotic in, um, which is the, you know, one of the arguments that they come up with, right? The, the... Oh, is it? I know. Yeah. I have not heard that one. <laughs> yeah, it's... yeah it's, it's, it's best practice not to use antibiotics in cell culture. That's best practice. Um, a lot of labs do to prevent, prevent bacterial infection, um, contamination, actually, in the lab. But uh, antibiotics don't have much to do with the virus infection, so... But that's that's their whole. It's a big pillar of the no virus uh, argument. I never heard that. That sounds strange. What yeah. Are... Yeah, so <laughs> Let's not even go there. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't even make sense. Um, these were my super cool pictures of rotavirus. So on the bottom, you can see that if you look really closely, you can see the um, dark lines coming out of the cell, and then the, the center of the virus gets really dense there. Um, but we can also do models of infection. So we can take inoculum and put it in animals. And they actually did a human challenge experiment for yep. SARS-CoV-2, right? Yeah. <laughs> and they, they, only half the people were able to be infected um, with a with a controlled dose um, administered intranasally. Only half the people became infected, which I found really interesting as well. Well, that, it, um, that, that's a reflection just of people's innate immune status right um and well the yeah. interplay of genes and environment i would argue yeah. Uh, yeah. people thinking it's like a machine need to disabuse themselves of this notion um biology is uh far more um how would you say slippery um it's always multifactorial mm -hmm. um so it's, it's never just one thing um it's your your overall health, it could be uh, cross immunity that you did have from seasonal circulating strains that prevent an infection. Uh, there's a ton of ton of different things you can factor in. But, you know what we can do is we can we can put virus in and then get virus out um, of of animals, and we can show on the right hand side these are just uh, H and E stained slides of lungs. So after influenza infection, you see tissue damage in the lungs only in infected animals, not control animals. And then, um, of course, we have our immune responses to viruses, um, both um, and they and adaptive immune responses are critical. Um, coronaviruses have been endemic in, in humans for, for a long time. And then sometimes we can have spillover events, and that's when we may see a little blip of higher mortality at the onset of a spillover event. And then um, if you, I know this is probably one of your favorite pictures here with the signaling cascades here, Kevin, for you, but um, this is critical. So, you know, viruses dump their genetic material inside the cell and begin replicating. Well, the cell is primed and has a bunch of alarm bells that detect aberrant virus replication and, and other virus products. They set off the alarm bells, and that's the type 1 interferon pathway. And that is, put your cells in an antiviral state, and, and viruses can come in here. This is actually a picture for SARS-CoV-2, and red is how um, 
that virus inhibits these innate pathways. So there's genetic inhibit um, induction as well as signaling of neurons. So, all right, I'm, I'm going to get out of that uh, screen and, and move on. Um, viruses are real. Uh, yes. Um... <laughs> so I'm just what once they're industrialized and used as tools um you know you can uh it, it's hard to sort of argue against their their existence but the I guess I guess um we should or or, or push into the idea of the quasi species swarm and um you know I, I well address questions that have been raised by Jonathan Cooey and um, his premise is that um, the only way for uh, anything approaching a pandemic signal to be achieved is through the mass use of um, infective clones um, derived through um, plasmid replication in expression systems bacteria i presume or um do you have any thoughts on that or um i i i've been confused exactly what the, the crux of his argument is um and i actually thought it was the opposite i thought he was trying to say you could never produce a bioweapon from a cdna one um uh, I, don't... I i don't know it's hard for me to address, but let me let me start with the basics and let me let me move um, forward from from the beginning. So I'm gonna share my screen one more time and just quickly step through the life cycle. I hope this is not too boring. No, no, no. Um... I love this stuff though. For me, it's always yeah. Fun to talk about. I'm 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 always happy to do streams when there's someone else talking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so so I've got uh, an example of the virus life cycle here. It's really critical that we understand this because a lot of misconceptions um, come up about how uh, phenotypic changes can occur in such a short time frame and this sort of thing. So we've got to realize that the genome of viruses, and especially RNA viruses, is extremely small. Um, coronavirus is one of the largest uh, RNA genomes. But if we take a, a look at the life cycle, there's there's a few steps involved. You have entry, you have um, after entry and release of the genome into the cytoplasm, you have replication, okay? So once the uh, genome is deposited, it, it gets transcribed into the negative sense and the positive sense genomic material. The positive goes into the new, new virus particle. Nothing else goes into the new virus particle other than the fully genomic RNA that's been coated with the nucleocapsid protein. Um, as part of the life cycle, obviously, you got to produce the proteins. So um, from the negative sense uh, genomic template, um, you get these subgenomes, and then from there, um, the proteins are transcribed, and sometimes even as a polyprotein. And when you start to dig into the mechanisms of transcription and translation of these uh, viruses, they're really crafty, and um, there's a lot of neat things they can do. Um, there's slippery uh, cis-acting sequences. Where sometimes the polymerase can jump over and do a continuous sequence for you know for whatever purpose. Um, 
There's all kinds of cool things. So once you produce the um, subgenomic RNA, you get uh, translation of the proteins. The structural proteins are included in new virus particles, but a bunch of other proteins are produced from the open reading frames. Um, a lot of non-structural proteins that have various functions and are not incorporated into the to, uh, virus particle. Yeah, so, it's, so as a, uh, sorry again to interrupt. So my view has been, um, it's a um, one-dimensional view to think that um, everything is sort of geared towards the complete genome and packaging, when we know that um, some of the uh, non-structural proteins aid in the um, disease process, and you know I sort of focus on. Um, amyloidogenic um, sequences that we know will well it'll it'll impact cell functions such that it will allow well in my mind it would provide evolutionary advantage to getting out these um, complete virions right so you, you yeah you can't leave anything out um, the accessory proteins are that's what they're called, accessory proteins, are, are very important in the virus life cycle and, and have a number of functions and are often multifunctional um, in a number of ways. How, mu how much of the sort of non-structural proteins are being sort of spit out by themselves to sort of, well, spit out is the wrong way because, we, you know, we're sort of dealing where we have these philopodia and um, infected cells often seem to pierce neighboring cells um and my um yeah i've just I, I, i've i want someone to sort of quantify for me how much the um yeah maybe i'm asking too much but how much yeah, of the, the, I, don't, I don't have an answer for you i don't i don't know the relative quantities of, of each of these proteins I but did, from an evolutionary perspective does it make sense to sort of flood the environment with these um, non-structural proteins, the accessory proteins to um, soften up the environment in a way to, um, you know. It depends. It depends on um, how many molecules are necessary to carry out their associated function. You know, if they can achieve uh, um, abrogation of the type 1 interferon response with a small number of molecules that have basically shut down the signaling pathway that you don't need a lot around. And that that contributes to disease pathogenesis in that way. If you're not able to establish an antiviral state in your cell, the virus could spread everything, right? And it's going to contribute to um, viremia and progression of disease and overreaction of the host immunity and that sort of thing. But typically, um, you know, I'm I have studied more in my time than negative sense uh, RNA viruses, and they typically put the uh, the glycoprotein, so the surface protein up front, and they have a tier transcription mechanism where the first gene gets transcribed the most and the last gene the least, and it's because of a fall-off rate of the polymerase and um, an increasing fall-off rate at each junction site. Okay. Right, so um, they have their genome is designed to have uh, that structural protein up front and and then they produce the most of that that protein so i don't i don't know about the relative quantities and that's an interesting question though 
But if we, um, so if we look back at the, the virus replication, you, you start off with this uh, genomic RNA uh, shown here in blue, and you get uh, the RNA-dependent RNA polymerase to transcribe this. So that is a unique enzyme to, um, it's, it's not found in eukaryotes, you know, we have DNA transcription, not RNA transcription in our cells. Um, <clears throat> but that polymerase um, has varying degrees of fidelity to replicate that genome. And uh, they're generally thought of as low fidelity and I think some people get confused. Um, that doesn't mean that every output genome is a bunch of uh, garbage. It just means the, the amount of uh, changes, um, nucleic acid changes in the genome um, would be more than what we traditionally see with uh, cellular organisms, right? No, the, you know, I'm in two minds about the fidelity issue because you know there's the there's work that just shows that SARS has this exon nuclease proofreading um, which is a separate function than the RNA dependent RNA yeah so it's it's almost got like it's two uh self-checking mechanisms and you know this right. this in my mind is a um a priori uh hypothesis as to why uh the swarm would remain stable over longer periods particularly if you know the molecular techniques are there to tweak the proofreading right and i'm right they've done those experiments it's it's you know they, they've mapped it down to four amino acids it's the ddd -E domain um it's highly conserved among a bunch of exonucleases um but if you mutate uh, the areas of the exonuclease, you get a high uh, number of virus mutations and um, non-viable genomes out. So that's experimentally how they approach that. So the nature of the swarm is going to be dependent on both the level of RNA-dependent RNA polymerase fidelity as well as the exonuclease proofreading activity combined. Um, could, you, could you envision a way in which they could increase the, um, the ability to proofread synthetically through gain of function? That's possible. You just have to make the mutations and um, do the readouts, do the sequencing readouts, and, and, and look at the swarm. So if we move into the swarms here, so let me share another figure. Um, uh, I like to see images that helps that helps me learn. Yeah. So, so this is out of a, a virus quasi-species evolution paper. So uh, my training is not particularly in virus evolution. That is an entire field of its own and, and has entire journals attributed to purely virus evolution. Um, that, uh, you know, I studied uh, more interaction with the host cell and not, not so detailed here, but um, it's really interesting. So if you look at the far left here, what we have is each um, number in line representing an output genome from a single infection. 
Um, the discontinuous lines represent genomes that have accumulated mutations that make them not viable upon the next infection. And all the symbols and colors here are various uh, changes, either in the nucleotide or amino acid sequence, however you want to look at it. So um, if you think about this first set, the only um, virus genomes within this swarm that make it to the second set are the ones with continuous lines. And here, if you look at the entire group of this 27 genome sequences, that, that represents the swarm of quasi-species from an output infection. If you were to sequence this, the consensus sequence, which is the frequency of a nucleotide or amino acid at each position, remains the same. So they get a consensus sequence from all of these. What is the most common um, nucleic acid at, at each site? Um, here, over passage of the virus or reinfection of the virus, the consensus sequence is actually staying the same, even though we get all these scattered mutations throughout. <coughs> Excuse me. So in the end here, over on the right-hand side, even though we've gone through many uh, individual sequence and mutant swarms, here you have ultimately the same consensus sequence in the end for this example. Uh, just qu a, a quick question: Could could it not be argued though that the consensus sequence is a is an artificial construct in order to sort of simplify um, our um, well, just ab ability to work with the um, virus itself? Um, I, I guess I guess the question is how how of how often are you seeing uh, amino acid dropouts and changes in in all the readouts and you know is it is it five percent ten percent that they have to make a decision about what the um consensus is yeah just mm -hmm. just the, the you know you have a a position and it says okay um in five percent we see um a change at this point mm -hmm. i don't know what the exact percentage is that's a good question um, I would think it would have to occur in a majority of the sequences, sequence samples, individual samples. Um, that's a good question. But here, it's just, it's just showing you each round of infection, you get a different um, individual changes, some some creating non-viable genomes. Many of the genomes are still viable, even though they contain certain changes. Um, and in the end, end over this uh, set of uh, infections or passages, however you want to think about it, um, you have the same consensus sequence that you started with. And I, I wouldn't say uh, consensus sequence is an artifact. It's just that it's a consensus of what you've got. You have to look at it some way. We can't you know, take individual one out of here and say it's representative of the whole thing. We take the most frequent yeah, it's like a, acid or amino at each position. A, any um, population metric is going to sort of smear um, your your data to give to give the mean, right? So, um, but I, the, I, I guess the take home from this is that there's there's still functionally recognized 
um, virions of the same clay and uh, right. um, presumably having the same functionality or that functionality right. being able to persist across um, multiple generations. Right. Okay. That's not always the case. Um, sometimes uh, selective pressure is applied to um, such that the consensus sequence does change over time. And that, that's what's shown by this example here. There's only viable genomes shown. And, and what the uh, authors of the paper are trying to demonstrate is in sequence number eight here, you see this, this star show up. And this star has conferred some fitness advantage to that particular genome. And it, and it gets repeated and amplified over repeated infections and cycles such that you end up in the end with um, a consensus change in that position that's conferred a functional phenotype, phenotypic advantage to the virus. Uh, I.e. a fearing cleavage site. Sure, yeah. That's, that's really where this pivots is, is back to, you know, uh, so if we look at the, the SARS-2 genome and say, oh, what's really different about this and what stands out? And I, I know you and your audience know this well, but it, it is that uh, insertion of a few amino acids that was not in uh, prior um, related viruses. Well, I mean, the, the most disturbing aspect about all that is that, you know, they recognized a change in the length of the genome of SARS-CoV-2 relative to other beta coronaviruses. Um, you know, obviously there being more in the environment, but the exact length of that increase um, was directly responsible for the furin cleavage site and the HIV-like um, variable loops on the on the sort of tip of the receptor, and in in my mind. And, you know, trying to sort of argue forward is that that is the fundamental signature to say that they did gain a function. And it's, um, like you say, if, if it confers a advantage, the swarm will pick it up and the swarm will carry it. Right. It will be maintained within the swarm if it offers the, the fitness advantage. And you know, I've I've checked the literature, and the um, the furin cleavage site is still there in Omicron, and um, so you know, the, the it, it would seem to be holding with the the theory that uh, as you've laid it out. Um, I'm less sure about the variable loops themselves do you do you have any information on those are they I, I i i presume the length of the genome hasn't changed so i have to make the presumption that the variable variable loops are still operational at some level i'm not from not as familiar with that concept are you talking about within spike protein yeah 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 um, I'm more familiar with the the sort of the mechanism of, of fusion that these these glycoproteins. I, I don't know much about the the loops. Yeah. Well, I can't just, really comment on that. 
there's you know there's you can educate me well you know i've done a bunch of streams with um charles rixie i don't are you familiar with charles no i don't i don't get out too much so. okay so charles is uh a marine long serving or was a long serving marine wmd expert and um you know has and it doesn't have phd but um is uh, a voracious reader and um is very very good at um condensing down this this information into mm. uh, um well a, a digestible format but a that's an art of its own y yes yeah, uh, yeah I, I'm, I'm old and lazy i don't want to read how many more papers <laughs> i don't I, I, i've done my discipline I'm, what's he uh, say about the variable loops well so this um well that it, it comes back to that pradden paper which was jumped on so aggressively at the start of the pandemic right so the uncanny similarity between SARS-CoV-2 and uh, HIV and um, that was you know immediately censored and we we know through the email um, foyers that, that you know the n networks that were involved in narrative control um, tr deliberately set out to uh, to stifle any of that discussion now the interesting facts i guess if, if we can take them as as solid facts is that um the uh, the loops are associated with different strains of hiv and the even well perhaps darker aspect to this uh this insertion is that when you look at the hiv literature with respect to them trying to make vaccines and so reactive epitopes and um i don't i guess i don't know if they well the, the, the point being that um those those segments are always removed from any vaccine candidate and also as a just an add-on to that the furing cleavage site they knew should never be included in a uh, in a, in a vaccine candidate yet what they many many of the vaccine candidates did retain the furing cleavage site um I, depending on which one you're talking about um I, but but back to you know similar sequences um with hiv how I looked at this, and I think I vetted it a long time ago, and so it's like vaguely in my memory. And what I found is um, they're either very short amino acid stretches, which can be easily conserved across um, virus families, or in the case of this furid cleavage site, it's found in multiple species um, because it is very efficient cleavage. <laughs> you know, it exists and. And there's been some confusion about a Moderna patent containing these few amino acids. Well, so what? You know, they're they're um, making claims surrounding a furin cleavage site. People use furin cleavage sites in molecular biology all the time. Um, I believe one of our patents, one of my patents, has a furin cleavage site in it too. It doesn't it doesn't mean anything. It means it can be cleaved. That's it. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as these these HIV domains. Um, 
believe there were based on confirmation. Is that correct? Um, Rather than sequence, was it based on a good question? The I, structure I, I, of the protein. I want I want to say it was homology at the amino acid level rather than um, nu nucleotide, but the um, well, that there's two groups and one being the Indian group, the other being um, the Paris Luc Montagnier, um, who came to the conclusion that their their placement seemed it it, it was too um, functionally adaptive to be th their argument to be um, just fragments finding them for example you know not randomly but yeah but, but based on that argument it um, the virus could have gained those function either through gain of function insertions or serial passage with right selective pressure or uh, in circulation for a long period of time, it also has the potential to gain uh, fitness advantages. So what, what I was trying to say is, is a lot of times um, there are many conserved uh, sequences uh, as long as those short amino acid stretches that can be found all across nature, uh, across different virus families, um, especially with these uh, glycoproteins and there's there's a few classes of the glycoproteins, but they've optimized fusion to get into the cell. So yeah, they're going to have some similar uh, sequences and similar confirmations. That's how I view mm. it. I still don't believe there's any HIV component to this virus at all. Mm. Um, I, uh, That's my personal. Yeah, like so, you're you're the viral no. expert, but I'm I've been convinced by the uh, the HIV arguments. Well, but also the the loops are unusually long compared to na viruses. natural viruses in the same family um well they're not in they're not in um uh, related viruses um and the uh the sequences have been patented as well you can't patent the sequence. This is another uh, misconception. You can patent claims using the sequence. You can never patent sequences that occur in nature, right? So if you look at the, the patents, they're all using a sequence for a prophylactic or a treatment. They're, they're, that's, that's how legal uh, intellectual property works. You have to make a specific claim, and the claim cannot be to patent a sequence. Yeah, the claim are, is to use a sequence as for something. It could even be a tool in molecular biology. It could be a method. It could be treatment, whatever. Um, but I would, I would be. So I'm, I'm after three years of doing this. I'm just firmly in the camp that this um, looks. It it does look synthetic. It looks um, very much uh, part of a larger campaign. Um, Pushing, pushing the globe in well, I don't know a dystopian, technocratic um, future, and um, this I, I would lay a lot of my chips on that. Um, this was a tool that they've used to um, 
begin begin that process of uh, leading leading the herd, for want of a better expression, into um, in, into an environment in which they wish to um, increase surveillance through and, and you know the way they do that is via the medical system and you know one thing that i argue on my stream a lot is that you know last century's bolshevism failed because of you know it, it was too too divisive with respect to the population so you, you know working class versus the bourgeoisie and um and so it was doomed to failure in that respect but I, I would again put forward the premise that they've learned, right? They didn't; those people didn't go away. Right. They've learned, yeah. and um, what they've come to understand is what does everyone have and need uh, in common, and that's um, medical care through your life. And so those systems become uh, ripe for weaponization. Um, and I think I think that's what we're seeing right now. They they keep pushing into the conversation the idea of vaccine passports to track yep. um, people's movements, etc. And, um, you know, I'm of the opinion that we should be doing everything that we can to push back against um, these these ideas and maintaining a, a posture of, um, well, sovereignty for the for the individual. Um, Amen, brother. When yeah. tyranny becomes law, rebellion becomes duty. Mm, yeah. Do yeah. not comply. <laughs> yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty <laughs> if much. We, if we go back to where you started your um, your your sentences there, um, I, I do agree that there was some sort of gain of function uh, research that took place that led to uh, the outbreak of SARS two. Um, I don't honestly. I've, I've looked at a lot of different papers, um, Jan's paper, and, you know, different ones about, oh, it could have been this, it could have been that, or it's right, TG, whatever. Um, it doesn't really matter how it came to be. It's here now. Mm. <laughs> and it has yeah. been exploited yeah. um, for authoritarian policy. But there's there's a lot of evidence that points to, you know, we just hinged off the, the fear and cleavage site. Well, you know, everybody is familiar with the diffuse document, right? And if you take a if you take a look at that document, um, I've highlighted here exactly, exactly spelled out what SARS-2 is. Um, we will introduce appropriate human-specific cleavage sites and evaluate growth potential. Now here it's just in cells, but they're already talking about we're gonna do research, we're gonna uh, make recombinant viruses. We're going to introduce human uh, cleavage sites into the virus and see what happens. So they're already doing that. They're spelling out they're doing that. Although this uh, well, I... stock application was not funded, um, Peter Daszak's R01 was funded that uh, was very similar to yeah, this I'd strategy. I have to tell people all the time, when, when people are submitting grants, um, you're always ahead of what you've put in that yeah. grant, right? Yeah. It, it, it's yes. it's just we've already done aims one and two, maybe. Right, <laughs> and um, so we have. You can make the presumption that those uh, experiments were in full flow, and yeah, um, absolutely. And you know, I'm I'm agnostic as to the um, 
you know, was it Wuhan or was it seeded? Um, to me, it to me it doesn't make any difference. What it what it tells me is is that oh, we're suddenly being forced to dance to the tune of um, people right. who have uh, intentions for us that are um, less than <laughs> certainly not benign. Anyway, let's let let's put it that way. And um, so I guess, I guess it I guess it sort of begs the question with um, you know. How much is it possible just from a single experiment in your mind to have a global pandemic? Or if you take Jonathan's argument that you you must have a lot of purified clone that has your... Um, adaptive traits in it and you you release at multiple points sort of simultaneously um, i suppose you could you could go about it either way but it they're not uh you know we don't know and and the the former is certainly possible you can have um, one laboratory experiment where um, you've inserted uh, an optimized cleavage site, or it, you don't even have to do it in a cloning uh, mechanism. You can take a predecessor virus and serially passage it through animals to apply the selective pressure. You can, those animals can have human ACE2 receptor. They had those animals, they're mentioned in both the proposals that, that I just talked about. So if they took some, some predecessor that repeatedly passaged it through the animals, they're going to gain um, advantages that allow the, the virus to use the ACE2 receptor and get into cells more efficiently. Um, either way, uh, you can have a small amount of inoculum um, potentially infect the laboratory personnel. Human error is is rampant in laboratories. <laughs> so in high containment, there's, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of human error as well as equipment malfunction. Um, if the hoods aren't flowing right, if the air circulation handling is off, so if you're not doing incineration of your biocontainment properly and the animal waste is going a certain place. Who the hell knows? I don't know, but you can have that single source. And, and let's just say a laboratory personnel wasn't being careful. They didn't think what they were doing was serious and they become infected themselves with the virus. They're the index patient. And once they transmit it to another person and it has that fitness advantage in it, it's going to remain dominant over the course of repeated passages. So it can come from a lab. You don't have to generate uh, giant quantities of the virus as long as the features contained within the virus allow the, the fitness advantage. And you know, this is this is why I deliberately stick with lab origin. Um I don't I don't like the uh the push to say leak. Um, I, I think that's a, um, how should we say, a dialect or, or, or yeah, a rhetorical trap that um, we could uh, get into. Hang on, someone's want to ask you a question. Can you ask her what she thinks about the preprint shown 
that SARS-CoV-2 can enter the nucleus through the furin cleavage site. Um, I've not seen that paper. That doesn't sound right at all. The furin, the, uh, the furin site uh, allows for the fusion peptide to be exposed, and the fusion peptide is primarily functioning the cell surface, from, from my understanding. I, I haven't seen the preprint. That sounds uh, I, interesting. I, I'll just read the abstract to you. So SARS causes yeah, yeah, pathology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The spike protein appears to be a major pathogenic factor that contributes to unique pathogenesis of SARS. Although the S protein is a surface transmembrane, type 1 glycoprotein is being predicted to be translocated into the nucleus due to the novel nuclear localization signal PRARSV, which is absent from the S protein of other coronaviruses. Indeed, S proteins translate into the nucleus in SARS-CoV-2 infected cells. To our surprise, smRNAs also translocate into the nucleus. smRNA co-localizes with S protein, aiding the nuclear translocation of smRNA. While nuclear translocation of nuclear protein has been shown in many coronavirus, the nuclear translocation of both smRNA and S protein reveals a novel pathogenic feature of SARS-CoV-2. If that made sense to you, I, I was reading quick. Yeah, that's interesting. I thought that um, the virus was contained to sort of the perinuclear space and it didn't, didn't go uh, deep within the nucleus um, as part of its replication life cycle. Um, we have seen in the lab spike the protein at least localized to surrounding the nuclear area, but not a complete overlay. It's like, you know, around, here's a nucleus, it's around. But, you know, I didn't look at RNA or anything, but my question would be, how, how do they know that's contributing to any pathogenic feature? Uh, well, I, I guess the, I guess the presumption would be that any um, cytotoxic epitopes are going to just just be causing problems in in such a complex region of the cell. Um, but if it's yeah, I guess the the bigger question would be is if it's um, integrating into the genome such that you were able to push out spike protein. And so I had a discussion, I don't know if you know, Walter Chestnut, and we were um, he brought up a paper that was looking at um, long COVID patients and they were able to find a signal for spike protein but no nuclear capsid protein. Uh, oh, that's interesting. Mm, so I'm just wondering if there is a um, functional integration that, um, yeah, could potentially. You know, I was I was struggling to sort of. That's a rare event. Um, if it were to happen, you know, you have to uh, reverse transcribe RNA into DNA first, uh, which is a rare event. Well, the, it isn't it. Well, there's one mechanism is through sort of line one elements. Yeah, those are also very rare. They are. So, yeah. They're they're not rare in existence. They're rare in expression. Yeah. So so they're there all the time, but they're they're rarely expressed. Um, but it's possible. But I just say it. I believe it to be rare. Well, I I, I guess the the. the where the rubber meets the road is where the, the, epi, the clinical picture emerges, and um, I, you know, I've 
when I was young and I started my career, um, you know, I was taken under the wing of a surgeon, and you know, his his words to me were, you know, you can you can do a lot of theory and um, but in well, in, in my field, which was clinically um, focused, he said, "You've got to, you've got to understand the patients and the presentation to all, all the time. That must be that must be your baseline before running off into theory, where you're where you're abstracting out um, um, data and hypotheses." And, um, you know, if, if it's a solid finding that long COVID patients are spitting out spike protein over the long term, which that paper seemed to show, uh, I'm, I'm inclined to believe it's perhaps less rare than I don't know. Uh, you just don't. You have to test it. You don't know if it's genome integration in particular. What if one of the subgenomic fragments is retained at a higher rate um, in the cells and continuing transcription of certain fragments? I don't know. I, you think of all kinds of mechanisms. It could be integration. Is is one one way that? Can happen. Yeah, and you know they, they, it comes down as well to. Um, well, if if we're in a situation where part of the replication cycle is this front loading of, um, you know, the non-structural protein or sorry, not non, yeah, yeah, non non-structural proteins, That's... accessory proteins, and I just wonder if they flood enough through a system that they can, um, and the RNA is being packaged up as well in a sort of equivalent of like the vaccine almost that it, you're getting smaller sub sub rna sequences pushed out to again soften up the the organism for um for infection and uh, you know all i think now is well if that's if that's a mechanism, then these are mechanisms that can be leveraged and weaponized. And um, I, I've, you know, I wonder how much goes on behind non-public science where they've really got a handle on those mechanisms that perhaps we're still. No, I don't think there's any kind of handle on that at all. Um, there's so much we don't know. And so if you talk about pathology and clinical disease, uh, um, you can't take something like, uh, you know, a spike being near the nucleus or spike mRNA in the nucleus and translate that across um, without doing a lot of technical experience. There's so many things that contribute to pathology. Maybe it, it contributes in some way, but uh, pathology is dependent on, on so many different factors um like you were saying at the beginning the health post and every, everything else comes into play you can't uh nitpick one particular thing and say oh that that's right, making right. it mm. and then the, the toxic mechanisms of spike are, are so many um that uh that that's a whole beast of its own and i can't 
um, particularly imagine uh, primarily those toxic effects being within the cell, but rather what I've seen is a spike interacting with ACE2 or uh, the angiotensin pathway. It's interacting with other receptors, causing dysfunctional signaling and parasites and surrounding endothelial cell death. You can have fragments of spike protein that um, can undergo amyloidogenesis um, and that sort of thing. There's, it's just so, everything is so multifactorial. You have to try to keep everything in context of the whole picture and not pick out one thing here or one thing there. Well, and you so know, I, 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 I have a, a hobby horse around um, amyloid and preenergic mechanisms because that's my... Um, sort of background but you know my my concern had always been um that those mechanisms that the protein misfolding ones are at another conceptual level that make most people are going to find difficult to grasp right even look trying to keep up to date with literature just around viral reproduction and interactions as a whole um, uh, particles is, uh, well, you, you make PhDs out of it and you make whole careers out of th that factor. And I'm, um, we, we know that they were looking to weaponize um, prions for quite some time. And, you know, but the, the problem was that you could, you could take the scrapey protein and aerosolize it in a room and that would you know you'd get an effect that way but it's its ability to um infect across individuals was limited whereas you know the as the theoretical well not theoretical but the the science moved on and particularly in my field it was um oh that there are it's the virus themselves viruses themselves able to cause protein misfolding and you know herpes was the primary suspect um in in my field but you know you can take a look at the spike protein of SARS and you can run it through computational um algorithms to see that um there, there are a whole bunch of amyloidogenic sequences in it now um they're similar to OC43 and other um, beta coronaviruses. But the issue is, is that we've imbued it with this furin cleavage site, allowing it to have access to far more tissues and be far more permissible than um, the, you know, the mother nature's version. And, and it's not just that, that cleavage site, but also use of ACE2 receptor. Both mm. of those factor in because mm. the um, circulating strains um, enter through a different mechanism. But speaking of, have you seen this um, association of OC43 and 229E with uh, multiple sclerosis? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so that, that's an old paper um, from 2000. Mm. And the neuroinvasive nature of coronaviruses was known quite some time. And uh, like I say, it's a, you know, when this started, I, you know, I had a um, vague, you know, 
understanding and and recollection um, just from SARS. But again, my the and, and the problem is in academia is is once a sort of hypothesis takes hold, that's where the 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 crowd aggregates because that's where the money becomes available. And um, you know, I just wonder how much of a blind spot we've developed for you know what what we would consider relatively mild pathogens but um if we if we're not understanding fully the um host viral interactions and especially this more fundamental because you you don't need the whole virion right if it's um spitting out these toxic epitopes even a sort of partial reads um then you're uh, well. It's it's ripe for weaponization, right? In in a way that most people just are not going to be able to grasp. And um, that's that's what you want. You would you would aim for that type of subterfuge in a, in a um, in an agent that you you wanted to cause mass disruption with, right? So what's interesting about that is, um, so nobody can escape the virus really. Mm. So uh, I think back to that. So if the design is, is some weapon in that sense, um, nobody's safe, even the creators, right? Well, so does that make sense? Yeah. So this gets into, um, the, well, so th this is something that Charles has brought up that they, they did have um no uh, uh therapeutics available right the uh, peptide fusion inhibitors and this was this was even discussed in the early discussion well, how effective those are but... um <laughs> but they 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 have them and it's uh, a possibility the, the... like uh, preventatively treat themselves right and if you um if you're able to do that you're able to, um, well, shut down the shut down the space of therapeutics, which they did do, which could could mm -hmm. have helped. Um, again, what they've done is um, seed massively into the population, and quite nefariously, when they know that there, you know, there there are discussions, you know, you can watch the conferences where they say oh we would we would never put furin cleavage sites into a vaccine right and this this to me just keeps nudging the needle over into the more um yeah just darker darker side of um you know the, the analysis of of what's going on and you know we can we can look at the the epidemiological data and we can see that um there's been a, a a ramp up of diseases that you would could predict from first principles were these deeper mechanisms coming into play and we see them at the neurological level um outside or, or dementia. But not in everyone not not in everyone and again you know not everyone gets cancer in their lifetime not everyone gets dementia i mean you have to die of something but 
um, it, it, again, it's uh, and so to just pull it back to diseases that we've seen increase massively is um, cancer and um, all all chronic type diseases that again uh, have a long lead time that they'll say oh it's non-SARS related and these are these are classified as um, excess death um, mm -hmm. unrelated to SARS-CoV-2. Well, they don't know that, I would argue. No. Because we, we, they're not, I don't think they're taking into account these, these disease mechanisms as catalysts to um, push people into a disease state. And it, it would be great if everyone was, you know, as God intended and perfectly healthy, um, oh human beings for you know the, the the length of their time on this on this earth but that's not the case right um you know i uh have a little different point of view maybe on this um i think the goal here was to seize on some outbreak and coronaviruses were the perfect example of an endemic virus that you cannot eradicate eradicate because of the continual mutation you can't use vaccines to stop it or it's it's gonna it's gonna go and become endemic in the population you can track and trace it forever and implement your lockdown and whatever next authoritarian policy you want anytime you want because you're gonna the next wave is coming no matter what um i think that was the goal was to um uh unlock the spring trap of authoritarian policy. Um, I I really think some of these um, side effects of SARS-CoV-2, you know, we, we do see that they're retained within the seasonal strains and, and other coronaviruses. They're just a consequence of utilization of that pathogen, and they don't care. They don't mm. care, right? Who cares for the people that are, of course. Um, but uh, it hurts their story when it's um, mapped back to the spike protein, the, the toxic pests that are in long COVID, uh, the amyloid fibrils or um, other, other things, um, mapping back to spike. And, and, well, not just spike. Um, I mean, there are multiple toxic epitopes through the, the genome of, of the pathogen. And once, you know, I've I've sort of made a conscious decision to focus on furin being injected into the the swarm to increase the tropism, increase yeah. increase the chronic disease. Chronic disease means people have to will seek medical help. And it could be. It's hard to say. It's, it's it seems speculative, but uh, we've seen uh, you know their plans before and utilizing other things than a pandemic outbreak to deploy their uh, you know strategies of of policy and and potential for global governance. So I think this was I, I, just I, one more I've tool got, in their kit. I've got to ask you this question before I forget. So when you when you read the sort of virology and the the pandemic literature they're always like oh the the next pandemic's coming around the corner it seems embedded into every you know the beginning Absolutely. right 
Where does mm. where does that come from? The the uh, at mm. what point in your graduate training is the, uh, and what examples are given for them to be able to say this this is coming and we we nailed on sure that it that it is when. That's an interesting question. Um, so in my training, uh, it was really uh, su super detailed on the molecular virology, and I didn't I didn't really have that exposure during my initial virology training. It was oh, look how cool viruses are, and viruses can do that, and and this or that. And I think over time, um, you know, people try to find value in their research, and instead of just let's look at the basic science of what's happening with the uh, host pathogen interaction. They say, what is the, the application to public health here? And of course there's disease states of viruses and that's an obvious one, but there's also um, potential for uh, that's debatable, whether, whether pandemics are or even a potential reality because if you go into it, um, it with the viruses that have high lethality um, die out very quickly and um, they're not going to be highly transmissible. So high lethality and high transmissibility essentially don't coexist in, in viruses. So typically the um, outbreak response world, which I've been uh, very deeply embedded into and learning about over the past uh, four or five years, um, comes from spillover events and, and they're, they're, uh, viruses like chikungunya or, you know, uh, Ebola viruses or, um, these other viruses that when they cross over into humans, they have a rather high mortality, but what ends up happening is they're, they're not highly transmissible and they don't spread widely throughout the population. So, um, we can argue whether a uh, pandemic is even, uh, possible in nature or not. I think it it could be possible under the right engineered circumstances, and that's when we get a big scary, oh, bio-warfare, but it, it's my personal opinion that we're too stupid, we don't know enough um, to, to design that correctly, to be quite honest. Um, I think they did their best to make a very highly transmissible virus, and if it's got these uh, great, let's go on the coronavirus family. It's got these neurotropic factors or mm. whatever else, um, disease states, and there's going to be fallout in, in the long-term disease state as well. But again, um, I think it's the automatic, um, immediate lockdown, uh, lockstep response that, that's been laid out in, in past documents I'm sure your readers are familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. One Health Doctrine, the... Um, you know, it, yeah. it looks it looks like it was being the groundwork was being laid over many many decades. Yeah. And um, you know, again, I I just I try to put it in in these in this context that people people have to wrap their minds around that these well events were. Uh, were poised as you said to be um leveraged and they they've gone all in so much that they've they're taking a swipe at your children too in this you know 
uh, fifth generation hybrid warfare that they and they're they're making a calculation about how much collateral damage that they can seed in into a population and this is you know i'm very well yeah bye bye to this youtube channel but i'm you know i'm i'm concerned when they uh they're bringing in gene transfection technologies into young children as uh quote unquote um medical countermeasure for you know a potentially it's a, insane mm. it's insane so i've i've got a small uh, group called ethical science council and we we haven't become very popular but we've been educating on this for uh years now and how children are, are not at risk of of severe disease from from coronavirus infection and um the risk of unknown vaccine technologies is um certainly over time has shown to um, not not benefit uh, children in any way, and, and, is, and is significantly harming children, um, and in more ways than we probably don't even see. So, you know, we have all kinds of of pamphlets. I have I've read the clinical trials myself. Um, there's really interesting things uh, about uh, after the first dose immunization, there is a negative thirty percent efficacy in, in both zero to two and two to four year olds. That was repeated in both age groups, so that means they were thirty percent more likely to be infected um, than the control group. Um, um, and there's um, the the widespread biodistribution of the technology is a huge problem, um, and so we can think about um, all of the. Uh, sort of multivalent vaccines that they're developing, wanting to do uh, COVID flu combos and put, uh, you know, I'm sure they're thinking up 20 different messenger RNAs to put in there now. It's going to pump all through your body. And, um, yeah, insanity. It just sounds horrible. Yeah. Um, and then and then on top of that, they're further developing the RNA technology to be self-amplifying. So there's um, BioNTech themselves are working on the self self-amplifying RNA, which is beast compared to the mRNA they're using now. Um, and um, an award was just granted to UTMB for studying a self-amplifying vaccine as well. Yeah, the you know the bars of the prison seem um, very 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 obvious. Um, and you know this is this is why I'm 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 infuriated. <laughs> so, well, how should we say I'm I'm a tad uh, I'm tad aggressive with the no virus um, individuals because they um, they get the medical tyranny part of it. Right. But, right. Um, they they come in and and just start spinning the the nonsense machine and um, if that if you don't understand the weapons that are being deployed against you, you, th th you right. there's no way that you're going to be able to circumvent them in any the opposition would want you to think there's not viruses because mm. you cannot understand it mm. to be able to counteract it right yeah and so there's no scrutiny on the dod programs that um have been I would say central to bringing us to this point. Now, you know, I, 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 it would be naive to think these are state actors themselves. I, I think, uh, you know, I would postulate that what what you're dealing with is, you know, these 
super powerful transnational organizations that are in a position to be able to leverage the technology infrastructure of a state to push private public partnerships. Mm, yeah. yeah. And um, there, you, you wouldn't believe the masses of money that are in the pandemic response. Uh, uh, all the, the web of, of the Welcome Trust, uh, uh, CEPI, uh, Florida, all of them. And, and why are they so desperate to immunize, you know, sub-Saharan Africa that's not experienced any severe disease from COVID that's desperate to get vaccines every um, that would, that's what set the alarm bell off in, in me. It wasn't even, uh, I wasn't glued into the toxic effects of spike right away. Um, but it was, you must do this. You must take them. So immediately I'm just, um, I swim upstream and I was like, no, no I don't have to. <laughs> mm. well, Let me question why you're pushing it so hard. Right. And for me, well, I have a, a good friend who speaks about sort of HIV origins and um, he makes a very sort of compelling case that, you know, it could have emerged from, um, you know, the use of primate products for polio vaccines and all the, mm. all the, um, well, the, the, the contaminants of the monkey cell culture yeah, yeah. And, and production uh, of vaccines. And, um, the weapon or the military side clued in on that very, very quickly. And, um, it, like I say, that if, if you wanted a sort of fingerprint of the modern infrastructure, you can, you can go back to the fifties, sixties, seventies, when they started doing this research and they, they started to find, you know, these unwanted effects when they've gone and mass distributed, in Africa, <laughs> you know, um, polio vaccines, and and just as a sort of a, uh, aside, what, what they Kaprowski, uh, the I get to get the names right, uh, had a chimpanzee colony in Africa, and um, that they made their vaccine, and then basically were this, they were getting um, maxillo or a maxillofacial cancers exploding and this and then you know they they realize that oh we've got something here that um is a oops yeah what's this <laughs> right and that's how much of science works yeah yeah uh, because there's so much we don't know we're really in the infancy of understanding immunology as well as virology there's probably a bajillion viruses we don't know about floating mm. around there that, that you know and, and only a very small subset of them are pathogenic so we focus on which ones are causing uh, mm. pathogenicity but it's it's much more complex than we realize and and a man's ego takes a hold and, and thinks that they're masters of the universe and in the end, nature wins. Well, I would say that there's a, a select group that think they're masters of us and um, are doing everything humanly possible to... The motto I live by, live free or die. Mm. So. Hey, that's that's why I love the US, man. It's so <laughs> it's just ingrained there. I love it. <laughs> the uh, hang on, the uh, um, 
someone sending me 1960 this is who um tells us the 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 history of hiv and you know i'm i didn't know any of any of this stuff until recently um let me share my uh screen or actually I, I don't know how you are for time. I could I could pull Nick in, and you know he's a fascinating individual to talk to. Um, just just about. I'll just let you know when I have to jump off. Maybe uh, fifteen minutes or so. Okay. Uh, I didn't have too much else to talk about anyway, so that sounds fun. Um, all right. Let me. Um... I did want to um, tell your audience that while we're all hyper-focused on SARS-CoV-2 and origin, was it this or how was it cloned, um, they're behind the scenes um, doing a lot of other other things. And the next uh, wave is going to slap us in the face here with uh, digitalization and uh, digital currency and um, all health and financials being streamlined in that way. And we really need to because that is more of a control mechanism than than vaccines or an outbreak ever could be. Yeah, yeah, and like I say, this in in my mind, that's you know, I I, I put it in warfare terms, but they've used this to push us in that that direction, and it's it's starkly obvious when you see all these things being played out now the, 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 the problem is is that it's starkly obvious but they're able to inject into the public narrative the the goddamn nonsense machine the again you know you, the the, uh, uh, the the people who will sort of be curious enough and and maybe suspicious enough to say hey hang on a minute um, what you're going to tell me? I'm eating bugs, and um, <laughs> they just latch. They'll latch on to the um, the more lurid um, explanations. One because, in a sense, they're more easy to understand, and then mm. the um, it it takes those people out. But at the same time, their their noise and racket shuts down um argument and data that that yeah. could be used uh more yeah effectively mm -hmm. let me let me try and mm -hmm. pull uh nick in just to um well he can he can, can cross examine you better than me around around this sort of stuff. <laughs> just uh don't be too tough <laughs> <laughs> no he's a, he's a sweetheart um let me. I need to. Do, do, How often do you do your show? Uh, pretty much every day. Um, every but, day. Yeah, I try to, but um, you know, I I take a sort of uh, I have to make it sort of entertaining, right? And so <laughs> and so, so it's a lot of it is um, culture war stuff as well, and you know, I. <laughs> Well, you have to be 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 careful not to get onto the sensationalism train, you know, because that spirals out quickly. Yeah, uh, with the science, I've tried to be very um, constrained, um, and you know the. Hang on, let me let me just get the uh, invite sent. Uh, do this, do this, do this. All right, let's see if Nick jumps in. Um, but you know, I've 
I found that the the censorship was already in place. It wasn't something that they they slowly dialed up. It was there right at the beginning of this this outbreak. And you know, I was I sort of I tried to do a sort of um, professional approach, which was try to warn people about the um, it, it, it's not a respiratory pathogen as they're trying to tell you it's a more complex disease it targets the brain and um boom i got shut down really really hard and then i you know <laughs> i just well you know you see all the, stu <laughs> the stupid memes behind me and, and went on this sort of mimetic um warfare path of trying to um upset the apple cart in a way <laughs> and the um you know, it's it's been somewhat successful. I, I'm I'm able to, you know, reach a sort of solid audience every day. But you know, there's only um, you know, I, with respect to like the you know detailed mechanisms of virology and stuff. There's only, there's only so much I can do. I'll I could speak about the neuroscience, and actually, there's a you know, a constant stream of papers which are exploring that, which is great because people are taking interest in this sort of niche neuroscience field of neurodegenerative um, diseases and also these chronic conditions like um, uh, ME and CFS. And um, I'm great. It's wonderful. There's the interest, but there's also the the human impact of that. And, um, you know, the well, I'll, I'll, there was a question I saw sort of scroll back in the chat earlier, which was yeah, I was I was censored. Uh, I was I'm not on a lot of social media and I was on LinkedIn and I was censored very early on just raising basic questions. I wasn't even attacking too much. You know, is this response proportional to the threat? You know, um, and of course, I argued against their high mortality mm. estimates were totally bogus. And, all that other stuff. So I was kicked off of there early on, and that. Mm, yeah, and like I said, there's a lot more is coming out about the censorship. And I will say, mm. even you know, just the general public who who's not clued into a lot of this, I I try to engage people wherever I go, and I think that's important for all of us to do. You know, at your your son's sports game, or you know, in the grocery store line, I engage people all the time, and and you know, just ask questions, get a little critical thinking, you know. Tell the attendant I'll be happy to see her smile again one day when she decides to take off her mask or whatever else. But um, even even you know the general public is is starting to wake up about the massive level of censorship, and uh, they know that that something's off, even if yeah, well that's the details. but the the pro I don't know if Nick can hear us or not, but you you're muted, Nick. Um, Indeed, I just didn't want to interrupt. Oh, okay. So, uh, Nick, meet Mary. Mary, meet Nick. Um, Hi, hey, Nick. Good to meet you. Uh, so you've got a, a, a pro virologist to hand, Nick. Um, what what questions would you want to ask? And um, Nick, I, who are you? Yeah, that's, <laughs> it's a, that's a it's a good. Well, whilst whilst you two. Uh, get to know each other. I'm just. I'm going to take a little wee break. Just, just bear with me one sec. Pop off down the loo. Okay. <laughs> hi, hi, Mary. Uh, hey. 
I, I'm an anonymous investigator, so I don't have an oh. academic or institutional affiliation anymore. I was with a major university on the West Coast um, mm. in the space of uh, herpes research in oh. Oh. essentially a hybrid of virology, ep epidemiology. Yeah, so that's, that, that's my academic connection in the background. I didn't like the structure of uh, information and narratives, and I'm a bit of a, you know, I, I poke the bear. So uh, yeah, I, I decided to take it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, it was a great experience. It was good to, um, you know, wet my my chops on um, lab science and epidemiology and data sets and structures and pathology and, and really sort of round out a lot of that. But regardless, what I went back to uh, and probably what upset the apple cart was um, taking material from uh, some lettered scientists who were whistleblowers who came across material about a program called the Special Virus Cancer Program, which ran from the 1960s to the 1970s. And it appeared when you actually peel back the onion and open up the papers that this was an intersection of genuine, you know, some some projects were genuine cancer research and others were clearly uh, what we now call gain of function. They were pushing the envelope to create new chimeras. They were practicing attenuation. They were, you know, I, I just heard this litany of of the the practices and techniques coming out of your mouth for the last hour. So um, I, I went and gathered these arguments. Uh, one was from a dermatologist at UCLA. The other was from an HIV witness expert. Um, uh, one was from a pathologist uh, and his brother. The pathologist, you know, had fantastic um, baseline data about the activities in these projects, uh, how it's related specifically to HIV. Uh, then a couple of people in that group got killed. So that's kind of why that whistleblower experience didn't really come forward. And it was before the era of the internet. That was all in the late 80s. Um, a couple more people contributed to the discussion and the arguments. Uh, and uh, one of them that was kind of a hit or a miss was Ed Hooper wrote The River. And he was firmly convinced with uh, Bill Hamilton, who was the evolutionary biologist who passed away in, I think, 2000, that um, the the oral polio vaccine, as Kevin was mentioning earlier, was most likely the heart of HIV in human beings. What Hooper never it's it, that I could find would really engage on seriously was all of the time in between that 1957 to 1960 campaign, which resulted in, you know, novel and unexpected cancers. There was definitely, uh, I would, I don't know if you'd call it an epidemic, but there was the emergence of cancers, new presentations, and in populations and demographics that hadn't had it before, all matching the footprint of where people had received this OPV product. Uh, and then there were many, many years, obviously, before we all came to understand HIV or AIDS or GRID or whatever, whatever we came to learn it to be. What I'd like to share with you right now is a little cameo from the middle of that era I, I, I if you need like a break mary for like a drink or something no no i know she's 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 about done i wasn't going to go into any uh, any yeah. discussion okay. here because i heard i heard this is the first i've heard of it's fascinating mate. thank you okay so this is this is the work that was occurring in that in that midpoint and it had a name called medical primatology and you can see right here 
there's a great number of examinations of the C-type viruses, which cause a variety of leukemias, solid tumors, uh, sarcomas, um, transferring them back and forth between species. Uh, and certainly uh, a sharing of those findings. They went into the cycle of uh, attenuation, recombination, and then studying the chimeras. Uh, now, Robert Gallo, who you recognize uh, as the quote-unquote co-discoverer of HIV, uh, was in this track. He was in this research track from the very beginning, since 1962. And he uh, then emerges as the discoverer of HIV, they were making HIVs. The SIV was a contaminant problem. I've seen anecdotal data on it uh, dating back into the 50s. Ever since we've had primate, uh, you know, imported primates from around the world, we bring all of the endemic challenges, all of the contamination problems. Well, isn't the uh, simian human uh, virus now the, the model to study in primates? So that particular... Yes. I mean... Yes. Yes, so yes. Another SIV, example. CPZ, yeah, from, well, Should've. there's a variety of SIVs, but, so that's, that's what Kevin movie. and I have examined and explored, and I'm, I don't have the lab credentials that you bring to the discussion, um, but I will drop in the chat, um, I've got a timeline, and it has some good artifacts, it has one of the major documents from this era, it's uh, one of the annual progress reports, where they speak in very clear terms about, each project, the materials, the objectives, their progress, you know, you, you, you'll recognize the landscape. Um, but then all of this activity, this is probably the most germane to the current era. All of these teams, all of these new sort of hybrid functions of stepping just over the line between microbiology into biowarfare integrated into the NIH in 1978. They didn't come up with any major cure for cancer or major steps forward in treatments or, or therapies, but all of this activity and the recombinant DNA technology, which was the title of this, this school of thought at the time, became a department at the NIH mm. and continued. And that's where it seems that it, it branched out and became, um, you know, as you mentioned, private public partnerships. We've seen it permeate out into academia and into the nonprofits. Um, and it allows, I think, the DOD to sidestep the global conventions and offshore, you know, they use a, public, a, a puppet, sort of a hand in glove, um, as they will outsource these projects into the private world or the, uh, companies like Merck. So anyway, I'll share that information. It was a pleasure to meet you. Thanks for uh, entertaining my my scary hypothesis here. That's interesting. I, I, I will want to note, um, just having had specific training in virology, that this is how we're taught to study viruses, to um, take their genomes, mutate the genome, um, swip, swip genes around, swap them around, switch them around, see what happens. And that's how we have learned to do basic science and research function of the virus proteins. So um, when we, you know, when the outside looks in and say, oh my God, they're creating all these mutants. Well, that, we've been doing that for years. That's how we study gene function. But as you say, it starts to enter a gray area when there actually is a phenotypic um, output or a pathological response to that. Um, and, I, I, mean, I have a question about that. So um, how, how do we realistically contain 
this this work. Um, oh, I, 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 Where do you I, draw the line in a in a bit of sea of gray? I, I don't know. Because it 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 seems it seems to me if we're, um, any any effective pushback, particularly if it's um, their tactic is to use medicalization and um, disease threat. Um, it, it seems to me that we have to sort of neuter the, um, well, the, the, these mechanisms that you're, you're talking about. Which the are, techniques. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know. I, I, that does upset virologists because that's how they've learned to, to do the research. And mm. um, they go through and they make the changes and see what happens. But. Um, there has to be uh, some line drawn, and so uh, you know the the problem we had was that they they did draw a line in well twenty twelve twenty fourteen when they did the flu um, experiments right and uh, Erasmus and there there was a lot of hoo ha and discussion back then about what they should and shouldn't do. They they introduce a moratorium and then and then we see this massive amplification into these um, you know eco health uh, metabiota like um, organisations which are then yeah, they give themselves a a lick of green paint to sound all eco friendly but um, they're the they the sharp edge of a very very long sword being wielded by these defense entities and um you know the if you if you had a magic wand what what would how would you do it what what how would you bring it under control that's a really tough question um you know maybe we shouldn't study viruses uh, through mutational analysis at all. And, and we can use other approaches and it will limit our understanding in certain ways. I, I don't, I don't know what the right answer is. I don't, I don't have the right answer, but um, you can also study, um, you know, I was showing the different pox viruses before, you know, and, not all of them have the, the same disease state. So if you really wanted to, to look at something, you could look at um, various uh, forms of, of the virus and then which which ones were causing disease and, and then map it back that way without having to do the mutational analysis. Um, I always thought it was really weird when I was in my training, like why are we swapping the genes around it just seems kind of stupid and it's only going in cell culture and, and doing this or that but in reality it has it has real impacts when um there's negligence on biocontainment right and um i didn't bring bring that up before but these people who want to deny the ability of a cdna clone to um be a bio warfare weapon how do you define bio warfare it it, it was really just uh an an outbreak that they uh seized opportunity um the response opportunity on oh man that's that's a hard that's a hard question but i i don't know man it's it's something that really, really rapidly needs addressing 
um, you know, it's up there with, you know, I see two, two primary fronts that we have to push on. One is the legal with respect to informed consent and, you know, that, wow. I got a flyer on that one too, Kevin. Okay. Awesome. There's certain parameters that are required of medical professionals yeah. to, to give informed consent. And I guarantee they're, they're not doing it. Well, um, you know. But what I was, what was going to say about the gain of function, if you deny the ability of the gain of function to be by a warfare, you're, you're letting everybody off the hook. Mm. And yeah. if we can follow along with, you know, what Bren's Law has done with Andrew Puff coming out and and attempting to call them out on this gain of function. Now, the moratorium was reversed in 2017, so um, let's not forget that. But they can attempt to, um, I, don't, I don't remember all the legal terms, but extend the court case based on uh, whatever the preliminary evidence is and get, get attention around it and, and push back um, on negligence of biocontainment. You know, they have certain responsibilities to contain everything properly. So that's one legal avenue that um, you're, um, <clears throat> you're ignoring when you say, well, gain-of-function research doesn't do anything, you know. Yeah. I, I, it certainly does. It's, it's a... a um you're boxing yourself into a, a a very very limited corner by trying to argue um that that aspect because um well it it applies to all pathogens that they could be potentially um modifying and you know if uh what nick is saying that they they had this history Going back and uh, are you still are you still with us, Nick? If he's still, I don't but, but, so so I what am, I got I, was I nothing. Am. Well, I, I I just um, did you explain sort of how the defense changed into the special virus cancer program and um i didn't i didn't discuss the origin so much as the integration at the end that's the more important part is that everything that they right. spent that money on all that intelligence didn't just you know they didn't put it in a library in a special collection it became an, an active quiet department you know within the national institutes of health but originally yes the uh we see at in 1962 for example there's um a project called investigations of viral carcinogenesis in primates and one of the noted scientific officers is robert gallo uh, and that's 1962 and according to the history books the special virus leukemia program which was its original name uh wasn't formed until 1964 that 1962 project was paid out to Lytton Bionetics, which was one of the large uh, bioweaponeers for the Fed at the time. Um, so that's that's part of that. That At the beginning, it was a lot of small bits and pieces, individual projects that needed a home, and they sort of gathered together under a banner of a war on cancer. And, well, you, you miss, miss out the bit where they, they change Henry Kissinger. Bring in Henry Kissinger. Oh boy, <laughs> that's that's the best bit. This is. <laughs> Go on, hey, Kevin, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to run. It was nice to meet you. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I hope you guys Likewise. can continue the stimulating conversation. Maybe we can be back in touch in the future. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's a real pleasure. <laughs>
um, and thank you for your time and um, working through this, like I say, uh, having black-minded bench, bench active virologist is, um, you're a uh, precious, precious thing. <laughs> <laughs> we need to, uh, we need to get you armed guards. Yeah, I know. No, I'm just trying to keep my job. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Until next time. Yeah. Bye, guys. Thank you, Mary. Um, take care. Thanks, Bye. Mary. Well, Nick, go on. Tell us, tell us about Henry Kissinger. That evil fucking reprobate. Well, I've got to say, um, he's been talking some sense about Ukraine, but. Um, Tell us well, about don't uh, don't underestimate his ability to be clever and aware of his street value and cred and to shift and pivot so that he can, you know, keep the hordes, <laughs> the masses of pitchforks and torches away. Mm -hmm. um, um, well, uh, it's you know, it's it seems to be woven into the, the body of research that uh, I worked on and and the others and also uh, rearing its ugly head today as a senior you know, a principal advisor to Klaus Schwab and the, and the WEF. And there's there's been excellent, excellent analysis from uh, David and Mark and others on, you know, Kissinger's fine granular details. The part that seems to be really dangerous is when he becomes the national security advisor. And that's this, uh, I've heard Mark describe sort of the legal and operational autonomy and their sort of unique position in the executive branch in relation to the seat of the president. And there, you know, he, he went into some fascinating details about it that I, I'm, you know, would love to learn more about. But yeah, it was it was his real rise to power because he sort of cycled out um, in in smaller roles during the earlier 60s and then came back in as you know a very very powerful role and had a fascination with microbiology and surreptitious agents and agents that could be uh, applied or distributed or deployed um, in a variety of I say ways poisoning wells just poisoning wells i mean <laughs> yes 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 and then you know it's very important for everyone to think this is bs or i don't believe that and that's just you know hocus pocus or it's it's uh, scapegoating um it's very important for you to have that gut reaction and we would encourage you to go back and do your own just dig a little bit and you'll find in conversations in the 1970s there were hearings it was all the big news about what did the cia do what would what was henry kissinger doing with them? What was Dr. Sidney Gottlieb, the, the poisoner in chief, doing? What in the hell were our federal intelligence and defense groups up to, um, particularly after Nixon stood up on camera in November of 1969 and said, we're no longer going to do anything offensive, which, you know, we, we all understand was was showboating. I would, I would just say bullshit, but um, yeah, it's uh, bring up the paperwork. Let's have a look at it. Um, what would you like to see? Well, you know, the, the emergence of the special virus cancer probe, your little presentation. I haven't seen it in a while. Um, okay. Uh, let's uh, have a look at that. Have you, are you seeing, okay, so you probably are, let me stop that just a second. Let me go back. The screen um, share is on, so. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, let's look at, let's go back and just do the classic. Let's look at a paper. And this is 
this is the Gallo project from 62 we were just touching on. And it's a it's a two-prong multi-year project that begins here and I tracked the project code and watch that split into a couple of other children, you know, their branch tips uh, with other people involved later, later down the line, but it had two major thrusts. One, identify pathogens in the primates that were, that were oncogenic Two, maintain and manage a network of primates for any kind of use in this space across the U.S. so that they could uh, eliminate the problems that they were having with uh, importation. They were having a lot of challenges getting through the scientific barriers and the testing requirements of importing the animals uh, from overseas. So the most intelligent thing was to bring in females and begin breeding and and sustain those programs. So That move. That's what well, I would say. Chad. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, kind of coming back to one of the things I say in the 200 level course about some of the materials and something that I found interesting is that they discuss the use of anti-lymphocytic serum right here in 1962. So anti-lymphocytic serum is generally produced uh, from the blood of, you know, you, you, if you're using two components of a, a source animal for an experiment or a product, you would use um, isologous or matching materials. And if you were using chimpanzee kidneys for a vaccine or a transplant experiment, then you might suppress the immune system deliberately, biologically, through employing this tool called anti-lymphocytic serum. It's exactly what it sounds like. You don't have to, you know, the, listen to the name. That's what it is. Well, that's what um, Ma so, Mary brought it up at the beginning of her, her talk. Um, mm -hmm. Antibody-mediated shutdown of CD8-positive um, immune cells mm -hmm. as a way of modulating mm -hmm. your model system to encourage um well things like this leukemia and uh, other 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 joys brought to us by this program 1200 well, and, yeah and it would be it would be great to have her take a look at maybe two or three key artifacts, not drag her through because there's thousands of pages and there's uh, there's there's many redundant um, uh, concurrent activities. And in that we saw uh, Dr. Johanna was talking about uh, the, you know, different her awareness of the different teams and projects and experiments that were occurring in parallel on primate pathogens in Germany. And we see that in the literature, at, particularly towards, I mean, you can see all through the course of who the assigned scientists are who got these contracts, um, you'll see a variety of nationalities, clearly. Uh, but at the very end, in the 1977 final progress report, there's a who's who. There's a massive list of the current folks that are kind of in the International Scientific Exchange Program. And, I, you know, I'm I'm stunned. That's the part that kind of uh, confounds me as to how or why would they leak and, and expose these capabilities so broadly, um, uh, if not with a clear intent of keeping a certain echelon, a certain level, a certain cadre of of institutions or known parties involved in the progression of the technology. That's pure speculation on my part, but I've I've never been able to sort that out reading that um, paragraph there. During the past year, macaques were inoculated at birth or in utero. 
Mason Pfizer, Epstein Barr, Herpes virus, Marix disease. Epstein Barr virus was given with immunostimulation and immunosuppression. ALS. That's bastards. Australian antigen, otherwise known as, say it with me, hepatitis B, was given to newborn African green monkeys. I, I, um, I don't know how, uh, you know, it's done, right? The deed is done. You know, how, how do, you know, it's what I was asking Mary, how do we, how do we put this back in the box? in such a way that it just you know has minimal impact on um the population at large and you know the the problem is is you know those virology departments are treasured by the defense industry and yeah, Pharma, I, I, academia are the glove, and DOD intelligence is the hand. Mm. And it's been very convenient for that arrangement to continue since 1945, since before then, you know, really probably, you know, more uh, on the lead up to World War II. It's it's been it's been a continued and strengthened alignment. It's a it's a brick you know it's a brick house, and. Um, I, I think that, you know, I will speculate or just opine about your question to her, if I might. And that's, I believe that we do want to continue having universities. I think we do want to continue having a broad spectrum of life sciences, if we're, you know, talking specifically about the risk area here. Um, how do we interpret, you know, who has the competence to interpret and score and mediate risk with potential research you know that's that's right there it's like how who can who is qualified to say this could lead to disaster this is another you know crack in pandora's box don't do it we can't do that who's got the reject stamp and who's qualified to use it that's that's a, 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 a i'm sure there are people who would come forward yeah, <laughs> and say give, it, give, it, give me that stamp <laughs> I'll yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you wonder who, where the puppet puppeteers are behind some of those people, but mm. you know, you don't have to look far, just look up. Yeah. But I, I, I think, I think I didn't, I'm not offering a solution yet. I'm just sort of saying, I think that we do, we, it, I, I don't believe in dynamiting out the old universe. I think that transformation and change management are possible. And I think that making people eat their words, like bringing forward the uh, the Stanley Plotkin deposition, bring forward key snippets. No one is going to listen to nine hours. I listened to nine hours and I needed I needed therapy afterwards. It was horrible. But there's there's all sorts of key items in there that could become very important legal instruments, considering, you know, in light of your your discussions and who you've, you know, Doc Keck and all of the things we've been talking 
talking about recently. Those are the bits and pieces that are needed to make incredibly strong foundational arguments. And if you can illustrate the ill science, the uh, you know the deformed or deficient or lacking standards for safety and efficacy that are supposed to be there, that are there in the law, they're there in the recipe book, but when they're not there in practice and you demonstrate that, um, then, unfortunately, we're left to deal with what he brought up about what just recently happened with his decision. Uh, and that is the sort of overarching, well, it's national defense. Well, you know, that sort of big brother Trump card. And that's another hurdle that I think there are probably minds out there who have, you know, his, him, him, him included. But it's it becomes this very compound. It's like a knot. It's a series of knots that have to be, you know, untied. Um, carefully. And if you go forward and your case gets rejected in certain circumstances and in certain areas, I believe that contributes to how it makes it more difficult for people in the future to have success uh, arguing the same, you know, making the same arguments. Yeah. It's, you know, much as I would like to blow up those in, in, no, in a Minecraft way, census. Yeah. Um, you know, there, it, it's it's reform that has to be aimed at. Um, the 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 problem we have now, I, I would again suggest, is existential because um, the, the bureaucracies are so penetrated by um, I don't know, like wef wef toadies, just to try and hang a label on them. But um, the you know the discussion we had the other day, which which was you know maybe maybe all their goals have been achieved. You know something you know something that Mark talks about with the um, the harvesting of sort of genetic material and diversity, etc. Um, mm -hmm. In they maybe they've got it already they, they've got what they need um and so they're they're free to um i don't know where's where's the uh, club of rome document bring bring, bring that up uh, which i'm sorry which the club of rome <laughs> oh i don't i don't i don't think i have that one you don't um uh, no, no, no. I I have I have thousands and thousands of pages. I don't have everything, and everybody keeps dumping. I mean, there's so much stuff I want to go get, Kevin. There's new mm -hmm. things, you know. I want to go and spend time, you know, using just search and digging through. By the way, this is another step. This is Merck. Remember our paperclip friends? Mm -hmm. They gathered. They they preferred to work in their their company of others. They wanted to be with their friends. Uh, eventually, I would assume all of their families came over. Initially, you know, they were allowed to communicate and mail Christmas presents back to their families in Europe. Uh, but the biologic scientists here, I wonder how many were somewhere nearby to Maurice, because Maurice was an American nobody. He just he was adult, in my opinion. He just sort of stumbled in. Um, as far as uh, what he got to, what he, I think he got to play with other people's toys. I think he got to be sort of the front man. But there's a, a mythology around Maurice uh, 
um, Mark has really explored him. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm constantly making mention of the other researchers because they do such a fantastic job of, uh, you know, they, they dissect these people. But uh, the science here is, um, I think this came to mind. This paper came to mind when uh, Jonathan was talking about mass distribution of infectious clones. And I didn't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm like, you know what? I, I can't prove anything yet. I'm going to listen to his argument. Uh, the, you know, I've got bits and pieces. I have not done an AB comparison. But what brought me, it came, brought me back to this era where they're talking about producing huge amounts of uh, lav, you know, just massive, you know, massive volumes of it. And later in the 70s, you see evidence of the uh, current stores that they had produced already. And, you know, that stuff doesn't have a shelf life of 20 years. You're not going to sit around on it. So I wonder how much got operationalized. I wonder what got moved into commercial stores. Uh, I mean, commercial distribution and, you know, in doctor's offices. I, I that's that's in and of itself something that's fascinating to me. But he was talking about distribution. Uh, this is obviously we're talking about vaccine products. You and I have talked about some of the darker, uh, you know, unfortunately verifiable technologies of aerosolization, um, uh, drying and crystallization of viruses. You know, there's there's lots of military documentation about that capability. And so it's like, mm, I don't worry about when I watched Charles working so hard on the amazing maps and the, the data points around uh, the, the Wuhan lab and all of that first cases, the wet market analysis, all of that. I was like, you know, you're I, I wanted I wanted to say, don't don't don't. I, I didn't want him to off the case, but I wanted to say, don't don't get so sapped by that, because clearly it looks like a multicentric origin. And, um, you know, we could look at the genetics we, and we did early on. We saw in that paper that got squelched, you're not supposed to look at certain parts of the genetics. And that's where everybody, it's shown a bright light on that topic. But this is well, one I, of those I, I points would, where I, I just go want ahead, to go ahead. say that, you know, Charles, Charles work in, in sort of plotting those cases yeah. um, where, yeah. where, where its power lies is um, being able to push back against the those that have tried to argue zoonosis and try yeah. to make it you know the you know the vanilla explanation yeah. just to placate the masses and and you know we, their strategy is again it's long term because that they want to load the literature in such a way that you know the students coming through are going to buy into their narrative and we 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 need someone you know with Charles' skill set you know he's, that's that's his training right um, oh absolutely absolutely and and I don't in any way criticize and I'm you know I didn't do that work he, you know so so respect to Charles nothing no criticism of it I, when I saw how much detail he was going into on it I I felt like um, you know I was like ah let's go after the NIH. Let's go after you know Barrick and EcoHealth and all of that. Well, but, keep you know, going. He, you know, let's, he is. Right? Let's follow the root. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he I is. Know, I know. And we we have he did to... a hell of a lot more than just the mappings. So yeah. And the you know it's in, in my mind we have to hold these people accountable 
and and it, we'll, uh, we've got a, a small window in which to do it, and so we have to take as large a bite out as we can at this point, and then hope that enough dominoes topple um, as a consequence. But it, what what's the age on this document? I'm just I'm I'm reading through it, and 1970. Yeah, you know, already the um, the techniques are uh, well, startling. Imp- yeah, yeah, impressive. And um, you know, yeah, we didn't we didn't pop out here out of nowhere, right? That's the that's the sort of take home from this that they um, they've been doing this a long, long time, and. You know the. I'm. I'm. You know. I wonder when the sort of realization came to the controllers that oh we we should pursue this avenue towards the sort of medicalization and control. I wonder. I wonder. You know. Was that back in the seventies? Um, oh. Oh no no no. This is about this is about Rockefeller medicine and the creation of cancer and the cancer industry. And there are fantastic historians who have told this, um, you know, these different aspects there, there's great material that um, can talk to us in, in documentary and, and written form. But this is, yeah, this is a well, well well-studied problem that just simmers because most people, it's just really invisible to most people. It's just not in their sphere of concern or priority and 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 they shouldn't have to worry about something insidious but it it has been and it's what a lot of you know you think about hippie medicine i'm sure everyone has had fun making fun of a, the granolas and the tree huggers well bless their hearts cuz they were the first warriors to help us come back to you know at least in the american space um uh phenotypic medicine plant medicine uh you know the the archetypes of which most pharmacology analogs are built on and uh, and and go back into that space and they keep sounding the alarms when we have challenges to access to integrated medicine different sorts of treatments and therapies etc um but yeah this is this is a, a long story as far as that piece of it and we can go back and look at uh uh, you know, look at the history books and look at those documentaries to get a real clear understanding of how they planned the takeover of the academics and the regulatory. You know, re- you hear regulatory capture. That's what they mean. It started 100 years ago. So, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I have... <sighs> Where does the reform start? Well, in my mind, with uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people being made uh, unemployed, <laughs> fired. Well, that's the that's the whole part. That's the, when you say change management. Ay, ay, ay. That's that. That's a. It's a. It's a word. It's a pat phrase. Uh, it means career changes. And I have compassion for. So I've thought about that. I'm like, hmm. Could <laughs> could I could I think of some uh, some twelve step program for virologists? You know, is there some way we can take all of that amazing competence and channel it someplace else? Talking to Mary. I mean, that was a quite an astonishing conversation. And thank you for Mary for being there. If you're still with us, uh, or you hear this again, that was really an important 
um, you know, to hear your opinions and your insights was was really, really good. But um, the fact of the matter is, is it will hobble a lot of careers if we say no more to certain channels of medicine. And how do you put, like you say, how do you put put it back in the box? When there are people who will just say, you know, some private pharma or bioweaponeer will say, hey, we've got funding. Come over here, work with us. You know, don't don't bother putting it up on LinkedIn. And, you know, we we know what you're capable of doing. How do you put out the fire? So that's you. If you can't appeal to the ethics of the people that right now are paying their mortgage and their credit card and their Amazon Prime and their whatever is their their lifestyle with money that is derived from activities that ultimately threaten life across the planet if you can't convince them in this state to speak up you know if you can't take that away from them if you can't threaten that um and and again they'll they will be seen as the frontline soldiers who is writing their objectives who is funding their grants who is reading this massive vinculum of insight about the biological vulnerability of the species that we're learning about through this work? You know, that's it's I, I, I think there's I think there's multiple levels that can be addressed. And I think that nonviolent confrontation in a decentralized, non-advertised way. Um, think about the Maquis from Deep Space Nine, right? They had their own little individual cells and they didn't know the cell above or the cell below. And we give away, we we put a lot of our cards on the table in spaces like this. So I think it's going to take some very good people willing to engage in um, some specialized research and presentation and assembly of data. And then a, you know, an, an intelligent uh, approach legally and uh, through mass communication. I think Pandora's Pandora's box cuts both ways. We can show the history, the risks, the intentions, and the results of these activities across multiple diseases, across multiple continents for multiple, you know, for years. Uh, and if we can translate that into five languages and make something palatable to most people, you could start a counterfire. You could you could start you could get the whole world aware of it and pushing and helping push that stone. So, you know, those are some thoughts. Wow. Yeah, my my concern is that it's we're just too late. The they've they've bided their time, sprung the trap, and you know they're whilst we're trying to sort of clear our head as to what's what's gone on, their you know their next ten year ten year stage is being um, loaded into the chamber and getting ready to. Fired down range is, this, is is this the Saturday night meeting of the People's Front of Judea? <laughs> yeah, why not? What have the Romans ever done for us? <laughs> peace. <laughs> but you know the well. How do you, how do you get round the? Because they'll turn around and say, "Oh, look at all the developments we have done." Um, you know the diagnostics the what have you and, and this is in my mind the I, I could see that the diagnostics and the sequencing being a thing just can't they just get into like categorization rather than manipulation and you know I don't I don't have an issue with um 
monitoring, right? Um, it's the it's the industry that sprung up around the idea of you know, medical countermeasures, um, DOD driving all this such that they. Well, I always I always come back to Andrew Weber and his. Um, you know, he was a true believer in that we'd we'd conquered the uh, the existential threat of bio warfare through mRNA platforms, and um, everybody that has a patent and a product and a stake in a market, uh, you know, a horse in the race, as they say, is going to be enthusiastic about that horse. Mm. Yeah, and you know, we have to um, take take out the. Or de-incentivize these these behaviors, and you know. Remember, in the 1950s and 60s, four out of five doctors preferred Paul Mall. <laughs> I I re I recommend uh, Geek Vape. <laughs> I'm glad you found your vape. <laughs> you got you went through your vape renaissance. That was so fun. I was flipping your shit. <laughs> Dude, uh, yesterday I was in panic mode. Um why? I I, I, I I sort of fell asleep and um I fell asleep with the vape resting on uh what would say? Um yeah, the old, uh, ample gut and um it sort of it's so it's just slipped down the side. I sort of wake up and um, find it, go to use it, and it didn't work. No display coming on, no nothing. <laughs> Did you plug it in? Did you unplug it and plug it back uh, in? Yeah, oh, yeah, I was doing everything. <laughs> I was like, what's going on? What's going on? And, you know, I knew, I knew the batteries were were full, and I was like, oh, God, it's dead. What am I gonna, why didn't I order two? And um, now apparently there's... Uh, I, I don't know how it switched off, probably because I was leaning on it in my sleep or something. But you have to switch it on. Like you, you've got to rapidly click the button five times. Yes, but, there's a safety sequence so you don't accidentally turn it on and burn your luggage or your pocket or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got to go beep, 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 beep. So <laughs> I didn't know um, this, I, dude. <laughs> yeah, no, and that cr that to me just. That tickles me because you are sitting there when we were talking a year ago when we first were getting acquainted about working on a particle accelerator and you're asking me about the engineering inside of a particle accelerator. I'm like, I'm sorry, but I, you know, that's that's outside my lane, but you can't turn your vape on. That <laughs> kills me. I love it. Now, this is something I should have, I should have, would have, could have, but I, I really appreciate, I thank you very much for bringing me in. And as soon as I saw who it was and saw the kinds of, you know, competence she was bringing and, and her real direct and clear opinions, I'm like, oh, she's unchained. She's not, you know, I mean, she, I, I heard her say, I don't want to lose my job. So she can't be a, she can't be a rebel. But um, she was speaking her mind and I was very appreciative of that. But this would have been, this is her bailiwick. This, this, so that I had that one, uh, you know, simian virus isolated in 73 or 72 by Gallo. I had that little, that snippet up. This is what became of those cells. That patient is HL23 and her cell line became an entire fascinating thing, much like the Henrietta Lacks Hella cell line and a couple of others that took on a life of their own. 
you know, no pun, but this is, this is them literally uh, taking four different are you, baseline. Are you, are you supposed to have changed the screen? Um, are you not seeing are you not something new oh sorry mm. i thought you were seeing everything you're like dude i'll just share screen there we go this is what i'm talking about you may be a but no i think i was uh on another actual uh, i just uh, shared okay. a window that was my bad my bad but um this is this is as exactly as it look for four baseline cell cultures then cross-contaminated specifically with target viruses for the purpose of examining the chimeras. And they, in this paper, you and I could go through this if you want at some point, I mean, I could pull up the paper tonight, but I don't, you know, this is not, this is not the HIV show, but this, this would have been for her. She could, she could talk us, you know, forwards and backwards through this, including um, uh, I would have been interested to hear her, uh, suggestions or experience on risks, on what cross-contamination risks might be, uh, non-target pathogens, because you know that for every single one of these bases, there's got to be a little short list or a long list of non-target pathogens that came along for the ride and are part of the magic of the recombinant technology. You know, spin the dice, or spin the dice, <laughs> roll, roll the dice and see what you get. And so he they describe later in the paper um the progeny the results um and of course they focus on those that were uh you know most mutagenic uh highest variability things of that nature which would you know which would speak to multi-species swarm uh mutagenesis of something that was seeded into the population and then branched out immediately from a central clade that lines up to what Dr. Gerald Myers was doing. He was the DNA, HIV DNA specialist at Los Alamos. And he was the one that I was talking about previously who said there was a big bang with HIV-1 in the middle of the 70s. And it it branched out from that point. And considering that Africa had ongoing vaccine campaigns and then the hepatitis campaigns in the US, um, that you know that's one of the pieces that aligns. Yeah. Um, you know, we're <laughs> the potentially, well, no, I'd say the signals are there already, but, um, you know, the unleashing of this next generation technology on such a massive scale, um, who knows what we're going to see in three years, five years, um, because of what they've done. And um, yeah, okay, maybe they won't wipe out three billion, but you know, it could be significant amounts who 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 do take a a, a hit. And you know, even if it was uh, something sort of more concealed, like loss of fertility, that type of thing. And um, you can, well, how how much how much can we trust them to be honest about uh, data that they're they're bringing up? I, like I had this uh, clip that I was I was I wanted to investigate it a little more, but apparently uh, Euromomo has suddenly lost 
um, hundreds of thousands of deaths. And, you know, this is something that I've, I've raised repeatedly is that if the fallout from all that they've done is so bad, then they'll, they'll go and retroactively start changing the data and who's who's keeping an eye on them at a you know high resolution enough level and has the you know reputational chops to sort of bring bring that data forward and you know there's an argument that that's sort of happening now um in the u.s backups or backups or backups kevin yeah yeah um, there are people who have been building you they call them universes and data lakes and you know data warehouses and cubes and pivots you know there are folks who live um on on that and so there's got to be a good that's one of the problems with replication with the internet is that you you can't put there, there, there are lots of situations where putting the genie back in the bottle um, applies. This is a good one. You can't take back something that's been duplicated. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got a back of it and they show, I mean, that is, that is what I love seeing are the examples of disappearing ink. That's another piece of it. And there are some people who are really turned on by that. They enjoy the mystery. You know, they, that's, that's their thing as far as helping, um, you know, solve the mystery. If we're all the Scooby-Doo gang, um, then, you know, they, they love looking and finding those discrepancies and doing the comparative analysis. Uh, and it's pretty simple because you don't have to look at the whole universe. You look for certain, um, you know, certain databases where there are sequences. You don't have to find 20 examples of data manipulation and uh, erasure, you know, digital, digital shredding. You have to find two or three key examples that are about the germane data like sequencing. Uh, early, you know, early registration of bat sequences years and years ago. Papers that tie in and have matching sequences in the text in line in their peer-reviewed papers they call that out that's what they can't take back the digital footprint is indelible so now it's a horribly you know it's like being an auditor or being an actuarial for an insurance firm it's 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 horribly horribly droll and awful and boring work Um, but we all have to be chartered accountants you know, so, you know, we have to we have to find those examples, and they are a basis for our arguments. And those arguments need to be absolutely clear and externally verifiable. And we don't have to worry about solving for all of it. Um, where we use it, when we use it, what is the format? Because you know, I I have compassion for what you've been through with the case in Europe, and the loss of uh, your your associate, your colleague. Uh, and all of that, I, I, you don't whine and bellyache about it, but I want you to know we, you know, we're, it, it's got to hurt. And we watched what happened for Doc Keck and that, that hurts, that smarts. Um, but we have to, uh, as Jonathan's backdrop says, learn to rest, not to quit. So, you know, I know I'm, I'm, I'm insufferable that way. I'd probably piss you off with that attitude, but it's, well, uh, you know, well, where, I'm just, I'm else, just... how do you, else do you carry on? But I'm just, I, you know, within the last week, we have had, um, you know, from Israel, basically mm-hmm. them turning around and saying, oops, we can't find the contractual agreements we signed with Pfizer. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> which stand out in the public eye. It's about it's about a critical mass in public opinion. That's what we're fighting. We're not worried about winning the case and arguing fearing cleavage sites and sequences in court. We're worried about winning hearts and minds about uh you know we turn we're using their own tools against them we're worried we're, we're trying to convince everybody that this is all worth stopping and saying whoa nelly and taking a look at these new draconian policies first and foremost power that has been grabbed that's the big danger and then continuing back into the science and making sure that there's good a good balance like I, you know i don't know how you feel about twitter it seems like a weird mixed bag right now and i didn't expect it to be a magical cure for everything but what are your what are your thoughts on on that as a space where we can continue this conversation well, I, um unimpeded i i think it's great what's happened in the last couple of weeks and yeah. the um you know Maybe it's naive um, to think, you know, when Trump, you know, he made a statement this week, right, that um, he's he's going to restore or, you know, properly apply First Amendment principles. And, um, you know, I'm, well, I hope, I hope that it, this is a turning point in, in that direction. Um I'm still I'm still of the opinion that we need to be holding people to account such that it's it's so um shocking to those that went along with all of this that the um that, yeah, there's that you know it'd be a hundred years before they think about doing or, or trying to do something like this uh, again. Um, the but you know that's it's not much to be resting your hope on the <laughs> the. Uh, yes, but there have been unanticipated synergistic effects. I think I, we're also at risk of a whole ton of countermeasures and counterintelligence another another learning chore for everybody to have to come up to speed on the fact that that really exists and how to you can't recognize it there's no magical glasses you can just put on to recognize bullshit but you've got to unfortunately turn the squelch up on your scrutiny and not just get sucked into everything and and you begin seeing the patterns of where critical thinking is actually coming from and where collective narratives are gathering mm -hmm. um so i you know there's there's i think there's hope there i think people um i think there's a whole i'm seeing a whole lot of quiet from folks who seem to be full of um vaccine hyperbole and we're doing all of the most you know the real brutal um, you know, let them let them die. You know, the horrible, horrible, disparaging people that were questioning the safety of the products. Mm. Um, I haven't seen um, them bearing their teeth. I, you know, I still see what appeared to be a simple. You know, basically, I think of it as an ad sale when any major 
quote unquote news or journalistic outlet comes forward with some of the rot that's coming out right now and making excuses about why people are dying and making, you know, just, just doing the AstroTurf job over, you know, that's hello gaslighting at a global level. I think, I think you guys said that the other day um, of, of what we're all seeing the, the data, you know, you, 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 we can't ignore our eyes. So anyway, wow. You know, may it long um, continue. It's just, uh, are those organizations going to, um, well, the intelligence defense going to relinquish their grip on, and I don't, I don't think they are. And, you know, maybe, maybe the, um, shackles being taken off right now maybe maybe that's just a, a more data gathering for the next uh, the next clamp down I, I i don't know i wish i i wish i had uh more more data but, but you know more more insight but it's interesting that we have a situation where they admitted that they were literally scouring twitter it didn't matter the size of the account right this mm -hmm. this just came out in the last couple of days if they if they thought something was um inappropriate and you know in in this instance it just means against their narrative pushing um they they took it out and i guess a big um angry finger needs to be pointed at the fbi and their involvement in this uh, again you know how do you, how do you um reform that um institute um and it, you know how does that happen globally as well right because you know we don't want to, we don't want to be in a situation where we completely shoot in the foot um the united states such that it it becomes well, chaotic and uh, ungovernable more than it already is i was going to say weren't you just here on vacation what are you talking about <laughs> i thought you had some fresh insights oh. well yeah. um hang on someone's asking me why is japan there on their eighth or ninth wave of covid because um like as marie was saying that these are endemic viruses the problem the problem we have right now is that as, as she explained a, uh, a a trait that gets injected in that confers advantage will will stay in the in the swarm and you know the and look the, biology isn't like the smooth graphs that they show you of like exponential growth, <laughs> like a bacteria colony, etc. The the mathematical models are extremely limited, and, and you can expect this to drag out for some time. And so, yeah, I, of course you're going to see um, wave after wave. And the problem we have is that they've picked it as a uh, a control mechanism to leverage against the population and i well 
<laughs> we can. Well, you're doing people's front, right? Sitting here. We yeah, go in. Exactly. We go in. We <laughs> kidnap Pilot's wife <laughs> and issue our demands. Um, the virus has got to go someday, right? Well, no, it's it's here. It's ne it's never going away. That's that the. It's it's like anything, and I've you know, and I've tried to say this a lot from the beginning that we have to come to equilibrium with it, right? Much much like anything, and. Or, or you know, the large library of pathogens that we we do deal with, and um, you know the 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 danger is is just um, them convincing the population that we need to be um, on or, or subject to. A constant sort of track and trace and um you know i see someone <laughs> splitters yeah um talking about <laughs> the world cup but you know apparently um mares is uh <laughs> floating around now and um we could you know maybe maybe part of their planning and uh gaming out is you get, uh, you, or you, or you unleash the more more benign version and get people running off in different directions, and 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 then when the when the pushback comes, which it, which it is, which is what what we're doing, then then something much much more dangerous uh, emerges on the or in the environment. I, again, I don't know what I've. What I do know is that I think we're dealing with psychopaths, and they they will do anything and everything to maintain their privileged positions. And you know, this... but they've never seen it from our perspective. They have never had a collective or compassionate worldview. It would seem. And I'm not equivocating for them, and I'm certainly not excusing them. Hello, you know, we're talking about life and life yeah, and death splitter. on Earth. Smart we? Yeah, <laughs> I don't want one of those rich Roman imperialist tidbits. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, bag of ocelot noses. Then. Okay, my favorite that I still get people with, and they don't. Most people don't know what it's from, but they always laugh about it. Is I oh. Two points, two flats, and a packet of gravel. All right. <laughs> no, when they're going to the stoning, every everybody should know that every single line. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah. So back, you know, back to it. Back to the black bill. Um. So I, I, uh, thank you very much for giving me some time with you tonight, and for uh, you know, being able to tie it together with um a real life um virologist that was fascinating. And uh, I'm going to be, I'm still working on uh, the 300 level program, which is going to be, I don't want it to be a history lesson about eugenics. So there's going to be a little bit about eugenics there, you know, it's going to be uh, try to not cover the same material as the one and 200 levels, mm. um, but go back and show a bit more of the framing of what appears to be the best, you know, the best explanation, best evidence for how and why all of this stuff happened. And then also come back in right here, like we're doing 
on the screen and get back to some of the key moments. Now, this is 1977, and he's bragging. This is Gallo, you know, as the lead scientist in the lab. Uh, I don't know if he had any assistance. They are not named here. Um, certainly, this is this is uh, interesting to me because I never found Tony Fauci's name in any of the SVC papers. I certainly didn't find um, Dr. Judy Mikovits. She was just beginning her career as HIV hit the scene, so she was. I believe I I I don't recall her timeline, but she was she was not in the agency at this time. But this is him demonstrating that he can characterize uh, leukemia causing or leukemia related viruses from a variety of primate sources and in particular he likes or is specializing in the category of the primate type c rna tumor virus now that's a mouthful for a specific little categorization in the rna virus um, family and that's what siv is and it really is genetically primarily what hiv 1 and 2 are as well so to me, since this predates the emergence of the disease in in the West, um, and he ties into this strange uh, patent fight behind the curtain all during the 80s that was terminated by President Reagan, he jumped in and negotiated a 50-50 split with the Pasteur Institute. Um, you know, there's there's many, many other pieces to the evidence, but this is for me something that resonates specifically about Gallo. It's like, yeah, he he did he did go looking for these things and he was successful as an investigator. And he wasn't doing this, um, you know, on on, uh, you know, he didn't he didn't have a, a buy me a coffee account. He wasn't doing it in his he wasn't Bill Gates doing it, you know, out in the garage. He was doing it at the behest of other people that we have to stay semi-detached from and take a look at the institutions. What were who were the institutions? Lytton Bionetics was just one of the dogs of war. Mm. They took the money and they spent it and they said thank you. And they delivered. Um, who paid Lytton? Who told them that those were scientific priorities? And who was in charge of the ethics and the oversight? And all of that is available in some place. You know, it, uh, you said again and again, it has to start in the U.S. The U.S. has to do it. Well, mm -hmm. this kind of, I hope, factors in and dovetails in with work that Mark has done. Um, certainly, um, uh, work that Doc Keck has done um, and others um, in, in gathering a body of data that we have to make a map to it's too much for anybody to just get their arms around we have to say this is where the good stuff is this is where you know basically index it for the world and then replicate the hell out of it and then no one is at risk because there are thousands and thousands of copies of the database around the world and people can begin really pushing on media and other investigators and academics to say we've got to look at this now this is a now or never type of situation um, and I think that there's enough folks that are turning the tide. I'm watching allopaths start suddenly turning the, the corner about vaccines and looking at the science, looking at the outcomes in their patients, doing real, you know, being healers. And that's very encouraging. And it's so I think there's multiple levels. We know the nurses know what the hell's going on. They're the most intelligent. You know, they are really, you know, they are the healers in the world. And they, they already know they can, they're five steps ahead of us. 
Um, so we have to pull these people together. We have to get more cohesive in the spaces where we can, where it can be interactive. Uh, and I think you should bring um, your best Sunday behavior and become a Twitter spaces person on a regular basis and just make a regular scheduled pit stop for 60 minutes. Make it a very brief in, you know, interaction and you will begin accumulating and it will ripple and other people will pick up the material. The material it's not you. It's not signing up for, you know, getting behind anybody like RFK or anyone. It's about the truth and it's about the mission of what we have to accomplish. But I think you'd have I think you'd have good success in that space. And um, you know, like I saw you in the uh, up at the podium when you were doing the presentation and you were a bit nervous. I know you, you knew you were jet lagged and all of that, but um, you did a great job. And I think that if you present yourself in a, a little more coherent, a meaning, you know, agenda, every time there's something we're going to be covering and today it's X, Y, and Z, whether it's a paper or a topic or a change in legislation or a legal case or whatever, you know, I don't know what kind of scope you want to expand to, but I think that your voice would be effective in the Twitter spaces and, you know, you should consider it. Um, I, I, I am, uh, Good. the, well, you know, maybe, maybe my work here is done. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. No, there's going to be army of raccoons at my door burning my house down. Don't, don't <laughs> stop. No, no, this is this is your no, this is your space. This is your platform. But as a small side salad, you could take the best you could just take probably the most important two or three items that have occurred in the last cycle or you're in the middle of and say, let's talk about this. You're restricted because you have to do it in the radio format. People can tweet stuff. You can, you know, there's, there's now you can, you can have a thread and chat links and all of that, but um, it's not the same as presenting and reading through yeah, do, and doing, all do, of that. So doing science without visual um, aids is uh, very, very difficult, especially when trying to parlay with the the public who doesn't doesn't have the maybe the background um and you know that's something that i i constantly sort of um, wrestle with and <laughs> i'm i'm getting old and the the stuff's moved on so quickly anyway that um you know i don't know how much um relevance i can i can sort of bring to the the larger discussion that's a you know okay uh well there's a, there's a lot of overlap so if we talk about the venn diagram of topics and conversations there's a lot of concentric stuff in the spaces um there are people that are uh i attend a couple where there are frontline care providers so these aren't these aren't research careers these are these are providers and and practitioners um and they cross uh you know a number of specialties and uh, one, you will come into contact with some resources and insights and new data that might be beneficial, period, for you, for anybody that, you know, you can bring back to the raccoon cave if you like. Two, um, uh, I think that the opportunity to sort of uh, magnetically attract interested minds 
and like minds um, is going to be, I, I think we've, we've turned the corner and you, you have that platform as another space where you can get more folks involved, more fresh folks in the raccoon cave, if that's where they uh, arrive. But, but again, a 60 minute framework with your mind and the amount of knowledge that you've got across the board about these things, the way that you can approach some written content just queuing up two or three items and making, you know, really considering, you know, watch the clock and considering you'll maybe surrender 15, 20 minutes of it as Q and a, you won't give out any microphones until you're done with your share, you know, sort of the download and then say, now let's talk and people will fill in the rest of the time. You don't have to create a 60 minute framework every time you do it. And if you just do it once a week, that's manageable. I mean, look at you, you're, you're on every day. Twice a, twice a day sometimes so <laughs> uh, can't, can't feed the uh the little raccoon cubs <laughs> yes uh, yes <laughs> and i repeat i was not indicating that he should leave the raccoon cave i don't want to start rumors anyway um well uh, let me know when when uh, you want to talk again thank you so much for um having me um, spend some time with mary and and with yourself and uh, I hope I, I hope she can come back and uh, yeah I, I'd, yeah I'd love her to get into um, you know the, the weeds of this sort of conversation and um, sure you know the well you know I'm convinced that the you know the history of it is so important to well people people need to understand that this isn't just something that just spontaneously <laughs> emerged in in the last couple of years right there was a uh long winding path through the institutions to to get us here and yes um, yeah, um and we have to be meticulously and triple checked prepared so as to not be swept aside we have oh. to make a compelling argument that bites and leaves, even if it's a small percentage, a percentage of people who are experiencing it or come into contact with it, um, sort of with that itch to go in and verify it. And they'll open the data and they'll see it for themselves. So, you know, you keep it very simple. You reduce it, you reduce it down. You're Italian, you know, in the genetics. You reduce the sauce down to the beautiful tomato, just very fine sauce, yeah, and a little bit on the top of the pasta. Don't drown your pasta. So um, we, we bring just critical pieces that align to the specific topics so that we maintain a manageable amount of information. That's easy enough to tweet. You could do three tweets and say today we're going to be talking about these three tweets that I put up in the nest or down in the in the thread. Um, but the point of it being is that uh, I, I you are inside of it. You are probably not the best person to look at yourself and your reach and your impact and the value of what you've done over time. Um, you you know I'm not saying you're unaware of yourself, but you 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 do what you do and what that means to others is none of your business we get to interpret what you know the value of it and it's been very valuable and um the way that you have managed and negotiated the changing and emerging um information and data from the research and from you know patient outcomes um has been spectacular and um so i think you should continue i'm just giving you a rah rah yeah <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for the ego boost. Well, uh, 
<laughs> yeah, I, I say no intentions of stopping right now, folks. Um, I think, uh, well, I think they've still got some surprises lined up for us. If uh, if any the past couple of years to go by, so. All right, I'll let you go, It'll Nick. Be... Okay. Thanks very much. Have a good weekend. Yeah, you too, bro. Take care. Cheers. Cheers. All right. Um, yeah, I hope that was of value to people. And uh, I will... Um, I don't know. I might take a day off. I've uh, been streaming hard last couple of days. Um, and... Um, yeah, it's nearly Christmas. Ah. Okay, time flies. All right, so uh, with that, I'm going to wish everyone adieu. Take care. God bless. I will see you in the next one. Bye-bye. Bro, you don't know how angry I am. You do, I'm like, I was just leaving for fucking work. You do not understand how fucking pissed off. After reading that little line, I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. Fuck these cappers. I will fucking kill each fucking kappa. I swear. This is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they actually say. Fuck these cappers. No fucking vaccine or MRA or ever drugs you want fucking blood blood. Never. I will fucking die. Fighting for my fucking, fucking and my fucking lineage. Fuck these motherfuckers. All that fight. I like this guy. Since 645,000 turned into a 